Okay, good evening and welcome to the JTFP, the official podcast of Jackson T. Fowler. And it's a privilege and a pleasure to be with you this evening. And my special guest for this evening, you will recognize him, is Vince McLeod. I'll invite him on now. Good evening, Vince. Hello, Jackson. How are you doing? Not bad. How are you? I'm doing great. Just sitting here and I'm ready to have a good chat about what's going on in clown world today. Excellent. Well, uh, I'm very much looking forward to it. Now, uh, some people might recognize you from, we did another show back in May uh, on the Mr. Berry channel. And that was a great discussion. And I had a lot of great feedback about that. So it's great to have you on again. Yeah, well, I think things have uh, changed a lot since then. The world's changing very quickly now. And things have got considerably worse, even since May, even though that wasn't long ago. No. No, you're quite right. And uh, I wanted to go through, obviously, uh, the piece of work that has probably been the most significant in your life so far is, is writing Clown World. You've, you've described it in the past as your life's work to date, really. It, uh, it's a, a, a discussion of everything you've seen in the world and experienced firsthand. And I wanted to focus on, in particular, Clown World and the impact that's had on young people the impact that's had on people that have grown up their whole life in clown world or the majority of their life in clown world and the effect that's had particularly on education, generational relations and spirituality in clown world. Okay. So those are the uh, chapters of the book that I wanted to primarily focus on. Now, uh, just for some of the viewers who I'm, I'm hoping to promote this to a wider audience of a lot of people who perhaps have not come across your work before uh, who do not know who you are. So if you could just give us a brief introduction on who you are and the experience you have, which has enabled you to write Clown World. Okay, well, my name is Vince McLeod, as you heard before. My education is in psychology. I have a couple of psychology degrees from the University of Canterbury, the most recent of which I earned in 2007. And since then, I've been traveling around observing the world and just uh, trying to figure out what's wrong with it and how it got the way it is. And what inspired me to write Clown World Chronicles was the recognition that things are things in the world are just getting worse and worse and have been getting worse and worse at least ever since 9-11, September the 11th, 2001, with the attacks on the World Trade Center in New York. And uh, the book really is an attempt to encapsulate the decline of the Western world since that time. So I've used my my background in psychological science to explain the phenomena that are occurring, not only in society in general, but in the minds of individual people in particular, and uh, explain why clown world, why we're in such a state of existence that people refer to society around them as a clown world instead of as a normal world. And uh, I've attempted to explain that in the book Clown World Chronicles. Yeah, so that that's a great explanation. Uh, it is it is a great book. I've promoted it. Almost everyone who who knows me well will know that I've been promoting it for the last several months. It's it's essential reading. And so um, I guess the the first question, because we've been planning this episode for a while, and I've had discussions with several people about your your work and your your website, uh, your company page, VGMPublishing.nz. Something that a lot of people have said to me, because um, perhaps the the world that you and I are in, which is sort of a, an internet sort of counterculture, 
a lot of people uh, hold different views to the vast majority of people. And something that I like to do is try and introduce uh, people who are you might call normies or, or whatever to this this sort of content. And something that I get a lot of, a lot of the same feedback is that this guy's on drugs, so I can't trust anything he's he says. What what would you say to people like that? Well, I think the most important thing for the normie to understand is that there's a significant difference between drugs on the one hand and spiritual sacraments on the other. Now, I don't actually use a lot of drugs. I don't, uh, I've never done meth in my life. I've never done cocaine. I've never done heroin. I've never done speed. And uh, I don't take a lot of painkillers, only very rarely. So anybody who does any of these things is more of a druggie than me. On the other hand, from drugs, there are spiritual sacraments, which have been used by, in particular, the Indo-European people for thousands of years. These Indo-European people are the ancestors of most New Zealanders today. They are the ancestors of white people like you and me. And for thousands of years, they've used spiritual sacraments, in particular, such as cannabis and psilocybin. The psilocybin, you can see here on my company logo, psilocybin has influenced me so heavily that uh, it's really completely transformed my my perception of reality. And so psilocybin, I credit with with providing me with the spiritual insight that's allowed me to, it's enabled me to write insightfully about things like clown world. So I'd say that uh, I am a user of spiritual sacraments. I don't deny that at all, but I'm not a druggie. Anybody who does a significant amount of alcohol or tobacco yes. or painkillers yes. is more of a druggie than me. Right. So I'd turn that right back at them. No, absolutely. And of course, in the West and in New Zealand in particular, we have what I would call a pisshead culture where it's totally acceptable to, you know, drink, you know, a bottle of wine a night or get most of the way through a six pack in a night uh, and that's perfectly fine and perfectly normal and no one bats an eyelid. And yet, uh, you know, if, if you want to use a bit of cannabis on the weekend, you know, you're off into a cage. So, you know, we've, we've yeah, discussed well, that at one length. Of, that's one mm. of the most ridiculous things about our society is that we don't, many people don't consider alcohol a drug. They can uh, get pissed and then fight somebody, bash up their wife, bash up their kids, swear at somebody, swear at the barman, and then just start again the next day like nothing had ever yeah. happened turn up to work on monday like normal yep yeah turn up with a hangover and everyone just has a laugh about it and say oh yeah you bash someone on the weekend sounds like good fun bit of a laugh yep, yep. and then uh, someone sitting at home peacefully smoking a cannabis cigarette is a drug abuser who needs to go in a cage now that is that is just pure clown world clown world really essentially is a complete lack of reason and logic and yes. um, that's what you find expressed in our drug laws and particularly as relates to the spiritual sacraments that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. So with with this discussion, the the initial idea for it was I was watching your uh, podcast with Vinnie Eastwood, and you were talking about uh, young people, uh, for just only for a few seconds. And you and Vinnie Eastwood are almost exactly the same age, I think. And because uh, you, you're 40 years old, am I correct? Yeah, I'm 40. I think Vinny's a bit younger than me. I think he's about 38, 37, but we're both right, similar age. Yep. Yeah, yeah. We're both millennials. Yep. We're both we're both the generation ahead of the young people who are just hitting the workforce or hitting adulthood today. So we've seen a yep. lot of things that have happened. And we've seen uh we've observed how the there's a significant lack of opportunity today compared to us, even though our yes. generation itself has a significant lack of opportunity compared to the boomers before us. 
So things yes. have clearly got much, much worse over the last 40 years, 50 years. Yeah, so I'm I'm half your age. I'm I'm 20 years old. I was born just after 9-11. So I've heard you in the past define Clown World as starting after 9-11 or starting around the time of 9-11. I was born a month after that. So you could define my entire lifetime as being within Clown World. But as you say, as you say in your education chapter, you say that the education in Clown World began uh, with the Columbine massacre, which was two years before uh, 9/11. So various parts of society have been clownified, if you will, for longer than that. But if you loosely describe it as being about 20 years' time, so I, I obviously being a young person, I know a lot of young people. I went to school with people the same age as me. I, I talked to a lot of people the same age as me. And most people realize that the way the world is, is not right. I think most people, apart from boomers, often, oftentimes, most people understand that the world is not the way it should be, or they understand that things are corrupt, uh, things are not right, people are getting sick mentally, and things are by and large not going well. Everyone, most people understand that. But the, the, the biggest or the, the main value of, of reading Clown World to me was that it laid out everything really well. So most people who follow the news will be aware of, you know, social justice warrior movements, Black Lives Matter, social justice, activism in education, Marxism in universities. A lot of people are well aware of that stuff. But reading Clown World, it really lays it out how how each thing relates to another. For example... Uh, in the education chapter, you write about how schools don't don't mind the existence of bullying because being bullied at school is just a precursor to being bullied in the workplace. And yeah, you've got 50 right. years of that ahead of you once you leave yeah. school. So I think, yeah, reading Clown World is is great because it, it lays a lot of things out and makes a lot of connections that uh, require a lot of deep thinking. When you read it, you think, yeah, it makes total sense. So... I guess, uh, how would you, to someone my age who is not uh, as well versed in this stuff as I am, how would you briefly describe Clown World to them? Well, Clown World is uh, the name given to the general phenomenon of societal degradation. So what you've seen, if you're a young person today, if you're 20 years old, you were born after 9-11, you might not actually be aware that society has become significantly worse over the last 40 or 50 years. You might not actually be aware that uh, things are extremely unnatural today in the sense that people have very little hope and very little belief that society is going to provide them with a quality life. Most people today, especially if they're young, they're expecting to grow up and more or less be worked to death for a wage that they can never buy a home and raise a family on. Now, that's completely different to the lifestyle that the boomers got to experience, where they got to buy a house with some five years, four or five years of income, and then you could already start raising a family by your mid-20s because things were just so much wealthier then. The difference is, by today, now the boomers own everything, and they don't want to share. They are a different they are of a different mindset to the generation that created the wealth that the boomers enjoyed, the greatest generation who won World War II, and the silent generation who were young when World War II was taking place, but who 
built most of the world that the boomers grew up in these two generations had a completely different attitude their mindset was the same as the existing traditional mindset which which uh, made an effort to sacrifice their own well-being in the now for the benefit of their offspring later on so that's what they did the greatest generation the silent generation they sacrificed their well-being for the for the wealth and the comfort of the boomers and then when the boomers got into power themselves they tore up what was otherwise this social contract and decided that they were going to keep all the wealth and they were going to give their offspring as little as possible and just and just keep as much of the wealth for themselves as they possibly could and so that's created a situation where young people today find themselves working working 50 60 hour weeks just to pay rent to the boomers all the production that they that they uh they have created gets taken off them for the sake of taxes and profits and rents and so you see a situation today where the new zealand government spends some 18 billion dollars a year just on pensions for old people so our society has changed from being one where young people are promoted and young people are supported and young people are nurtured to becoming one where young people are sacrificed for the comfort of the old now this is um this is taken as as normal by a lot of people today but uh, realistically and the reason why i've described it as clown world is realistically it's a state of such advanced societal degradation that it's basically it's basically the end society cannot survive if if it evolves into a state where old people sacrifice the young so we're really at the end of a, a great historical cycle right now and that's what inspired me to write clown world chronicles because i saw that a lot of young people much like yourself were were lost in a state of confusion because they did not understand these wider historical processes and they could not explain what was going on from the perspective of a psychological scientist so the point of clown world chronicles was to bring all of these wider trends together and explain them from the perspective of a psychologist so that a reader could could uh, come to understand what was going on in the minds of people today not only the minds of the people who are actually running the place the boomers who have created clown world but also the minds of the younger people who are suffering from this creation yeah so i guess uh the the shorthand of that is to say that clown world is a perverted form of how life should be and that young people are sacrificed for the old and most things are basically the opposite of the way they should be for example schools are not about education they're about indoctrination science is not about discovering the truth but about pushing politics and relations between every group are pretty bad under the guise of uh, divide and conquer would you agree oh, i'd absolutely agree clown world itself is a development of the of the phrase bizarro world which was right. actually something invented by dc comics bizarro world was a world that superman could travel to in the superman comics and the point of bizarro world was that it was the exact opposite of normal world so everything was just completely upside down and what people have realized and the reason why people come up with the term clown world i didn't come up with that myself i just observed that being used by people in everyday internet parlance uh, mm. the reason why people come up with the term clown world is because they observe that our lives today really are the opposite of how they ought to be in particular 
the phenomenon of the old sacrificing the young for the sake of their own comfort that is something you have never seen in the history of human human existence ever before it's uh so the reason why we have clown world today the reason why i call it clown world and the reason why i've been able to describe it in clown world chronicles is that we've completely lost our our moral and spiritual orientation and we're just we're just floundering lost selfish and uh, we don't know we don't know what we're doing we're just following our basic animal instincts and that's why things are so bad all around the world today yeah so i think we've we've talked quite a bit so far about the generational relations aspect of clown world and so let's let's talk a bit more about that so you write the the i think it's chapter 64 of clown world is called generational relations in clown world and the first uh, paragraph is all kinds of relations are bad in clown world but generational relations are at their lowest point ever instead of the difficulty that marked generational relations in the past today there is hate this hate is based on the fact that one generation in particular the baby boomers are chiefly responsible for clown world and its perpetuation so that's that's the first chapter of the first paragraph of that chapter now something that people uh, my age especially will be familiar with is the okay boomer meme that yeah. has been popular for maybe four four maybe five years now maybe less than that and something that i found very interesting and somewhat surprising in the book is how far uh, I don't know how I'd describe it. Maybe how far you sort of lean into some of the popular memes that are in existence. People will be able to see in the corner of of uh, just uh, up above your head is the the Honkler image oh, in the corner of the stream. And throughout Clown World, even on the cover, I've got the book on the shelf behind me, there's a lot of images of a cartoon clown. So um, perhaps... So, so I, I reference the OK Boomer because people will will understand that, and people people will sort of know what that means. And to those who don't know what it means, you'd sort of describe it as when a boomer is going on about anything really, or about how hard they had it when they were growing up, and how lazy young people are today. You say OK Boomer, and and so I guess um, maybe if you could talk a little bit about what role memes play in clown world and and i guess memes are a response to clown world in a way how how would you sort of talk about that well i'd say that um the term what has to be kept in mind is that the term meme hmm. was richard dawkins came up with that term and he wrote right. about that in the book the selfish gene that was written yes. in the 1970s so it's it's actually quite an old term it predates the popular internet so richard dawkins's theory was that in much the same way that genes control physical expression memes control cultural expression so he came up with the term meme to describe a unit of cultural expression so a meme is a meme is any idea that spreads itself in the same way that genes do the point of his book the selfish gene was to describe how genes try and replicate themselves at the expense of basically everything else genes don't really care about other genes they just uh, they, they only want to replicate themselves and that's why he called it the selfish gene but in the last chapter of the book he talks about memes that that work in the same way he says that memes try and replicate themselves and they do it in a manner that's extremely analogous to that of a biological organism replicating its genes so a successful meme 
is one that gets shared a lot. For example, if you put up a meme, if I put up a meme on my VJM Public Publishing Facebook channel and it gets a few hundred shares, I can say that's a that's a successful meme. The most successful memes you see become actually part of popular culture, such as the Honkler meme that you have in the corner right at the moment and the Honkler meme on the front of Clan World Chronicles. Honkler has become a popular meme because a lot of people feel like um, a lot of people feel like things are so bad that uh, the temptation for despair is so great that it has to be countered by humor. And so the point of the Honkler meme is to try and bring some humor and levity into otherwise into what is otherwise an extremely depressing and despair-inducing situation, which is which is our modern life. As Brad Pitt said in Fight Club, our great war is a spiritual war. And our Great Depression is our lives. That's actually more true of Generation Z than it was for the millennials who were the target audience of Fight Club. So the thing about memes is that memes are for people today a way of fighting back against the psychological mm. oppression that is pushed on us by the mainstream media apparatus and which is intended to get us to submit to the direction that is being pushed on us by the ruling classes, which essentially amounts to the boomers and some of their generation x lackeys mm. so memes are memes are a way of being a revolutionary people don't fight so much with bullets today they fight with memes and the point of memes mm. is to is to get other people on your side and to recognize that you're speaking the truth mm. so memes memes can be said to be symbols of truth that are working in resistance against all of the lies that are being pushed on us by the mainstream media. Yeah, so memes, I guess, have been, obviously the terms existed for, you know, 50 or so years, but they've become particularly popular within the last few, especially with, with Facebook and Instagram and things like that. And the term meme war is obviously one that you've just used and goes around and i guess the thing with with clown world is uh one of the the good aspects of the modern age is the ability for us to do things like this where two people with alternative views are able to put them out online and gather a big audience and so that's been one of the major problems for the ruling class is having to counter and censor uh, programs like this programs like yours, websites like yours, where people are able to sort of democratize um, individual thought. And memes are, are the same, where, you know, the memes that become popular are the best memes. You know, no, yep. there's no central meme database, you know, where the memes that we see are the ones that the establishment wants us to see. Memes are sort of an organic thing where whatever the best and most popular meme is will rise to the top. And so... I find it interesting that um, the uh, Honkler meme and the Pepe meme, they have been condemned by the establishment and they are considered symbols of hate, uh, which, which is interesting. So what, um, would you perhaps like to talk about, about that, about how the establishment have coined certain memes um, untouchable territory? Yeah, well, the main thing to keep in mind is that in order for propaganda to be maximally effective, there has to be no alternative propaganda. Joseph Goebbels wrote about this in his Principles of Propaganda. It was actually the first principle. He said that in order for the, the Nazi party, he was writing about 
what needed to be done, what the Nazi party needed to do in Germany, he said that for them to be maximally effective, they, they were not allowed to be any alternative source of information. And so that's why the totalitarian Nazis, one of the first thing they, they did was to ban all private ownership of radio and newspapers so that they would be the, the sole single source of truth because that is that's what the, Jacinda likes to say exactly because she is also a totalitarian the totalitarian mentality is that the ruling class only is the single source of truth and everybody else is either a liar or a speaker of hate and so mm -hmm. the, the the fact that honkler and pepe have become hate symbols in the minds of the ruling class in particular in the minds of ruling class organizations such as the adl in the united yes. states the reason why this has happened is because the ruling class sees any alternative to their apparatus of propaganda to be either evil or false. So it, it wouldn't matter if it was Honkler, it could be literally anything. It could be the most innocuous meme that you could ever think of, mm. and it would still be considered a hate symbol by the ruling class for the simple fact that it's an alternative to their propaganda apparatus. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think we're at a point now where the um, the the ruling class, and particularly the social media ruling class, those who are responsible for censoring things, those who run Facebook and Twitter and, you know, Reddit and things, they are at a, at a point where they are censoring things pretty hard now. And we saw that, uh, I think, uh, one example that made a lot of people realize, well, what's going on is when President Trump was banned from Twitter and all other social media. So you're not able to find any Trump content on social media now, not from him himself. And yeah. so uh, whether or not you believe Trump is a good guy or he's, he's a plant or what, there's certainly a hell of a lot of censorship of any uh, nationalist or non-globalist, anti-globalist um, memes or messaging or anything on social media so but obviously the the other side of that is the more you censor things the more you push them into the underground where we can't see what's going on so what what do you think is the future will be like on social media in terms of the increasing censorship i know uh, i think both of us are on a facebook ban at the moment for making certain <laughs> comments um so, <laughs> so yeah, well, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not just on a Facebook ban. Even if I wasn't banned, my posts on my VJM Publishing Facebook page right. that I post under my other account, I'm essentially yes. shadow banned on Facebook in the sense that I only get 5% of the traffic I used to get. And mm. I'm essentially shadow banned on Google in the sense that I get about 10% of the traffic I used to get. I'm banned from pretty much everywhere on Reddit, even on my alternative accounts. Because, as I mentioned before, this isn't because I'm evil, mm. but because any alternative to the ruling class message is is censored. And this isn't just happening yeah. to me. It's happening to anybody who thinks for themselves at all, even Donald Trump. Donald Trump, mm. Donald Trump, I consider him to be part of the establishment, but he is still just enough of a free thinker that they target him. Mm. Now, yeah. this is really just uh, an example of the totalitarianism, totalitarianism that existed under the Nazis and the commies, and it's what well, I call it neoliberal totalitarianism, because it is just as much totalitarianism as what the Nazis and the commies did, 
The only major difference is that the ruling class uses the corporates to censor people instead of instead of actually sending the Gestapo or the NKVD around. So it's just another example of the same thing, which is the drive towards totalitarian control. And as a further example of what George Orwell said, when he said that if you want to imagine the future, imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever. That's all that they're doing. They're just trying to stamp us out. They're trying to stamp out Facebook, Google, the mainstream media in general. They're trying to stamp out anybody who thinks differently. I think what will happen yeah. in the future is that you'll see a lot more alternative media outlets starting to stand up. You can already see on, for example, brand YouTube, the most recent yeah. podcast in which I was featured, it was put up by put up on brand new brand YouTube by the host of the podcast. And that got a lot of views. That got a lot of views and a lot of comments. Mm. So I think what you'll see is uh, alternatives to Facebook and Google and Reddit starting to starting to rise up, as as most interesting people end up getting banned from those old 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 legacy media outlets. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned your Facebook page. I've got it up here. According to the latest statistics, you have three thousand one hundred and forty three likes, including yep. fifteen of my friends and on facebook that is and yep. you posted up a meme yesterday at 304 p.m so it's been up over 24 hours and you've got eight likes yeah eight likes and it used to be yeah. that i could post literally anything as a meme doesn't matter what it was mm. and i'd get about 200 likes and reacts and at least 50 yeah. shares i could put mm. up a meme of anything I, even as an experiment i used to put up memes that weren't even relevant to anything that vj and publishing used to talk about and people would mm. still i still get dozens of shares but now i'm just shadow banned like uh, those 3,100 mm. likes, that was it was mm. rising very rapidly when my memes were getting shared mm. by hundreds of people. But when I got to about 3,300, I got shadow banned and, and now they don't get shared by hardly anyone at all because nobody sees them. The Facebook algorithm just doesn't doesn't show them to people. And so mm. as, as people naturally fall off Facebook, my likes naturally just go down. So yeah, mm. I've just uh, they've just strangled my Facebook page. The same way that Google has strangled traffic to the VJMPublishing.nz website, and um, mm. that's why I'm I'm ending up um, I'm I'm uh, promoting it more through alternative channels now, such as these podcasts, because um, yes. this is something that they haven't yet been able to strangle through censorship. Mm. Yeah, and that's interesting. You mentioned before about uh, Orwell mentioning a, a boot on a human face. I saw a meme today. Uh, this, this morning, I think it was, uh, when I was putting together a few things for the show, and it said, imagine um, a, a frog with a multicolored wig and a red clown nose forever. And it said, George Orwell, <laughs> yeah. it's a picture of him. So, yeah, so yeah, well, it's, looking I like, think... it's, looking, it's looking like Clown World is, um, there's no sign on the horizon of Clown World being overturned. There is mm. only, I mean, there are a lot of young people who are angry at Clown World, but um, mm. still, you haven't seen that really manifest into any meaningful revolutionary movement. Mm. Everything, Every time someone even makes an attempt to stand up, they get smashed. You see, yes. all it takes now is to possess anti-government sentiments, yep. and you go on a police watch list, and they start yes. monitoring you for any sign of dissent. So, I mean, that really is pure totalitarianism. The next step is for people like me to get disappeared and dragged mm. off into the forest and shot in the head and buried in a shallow grave. I've already mm. sent cops around to my house to talk to me, yes. to check my thinking, to make sure that um, I'm not a terrorist. Yeah. So, 
the the authoritarian sentiments among the ruling class, not only in New Zealand, but all around the West, they have intensified to an extreme degree. And mm. the reason for this is because many people understand that the world has been horrifically mismanaged, particularly the Western world, over mm. the last 40 or 50 years. And there's an enormous amount of discontent that has risen as a result of this. And the mm. ruling class are afraid. Uh, they're afraid of the fact that they know that the people they are dominating hate them. Mm. And there's a lot of things I want to talk about on on this program, and uh, and particularly as it relates to young people. But but uh, I didn't prepare a script or anything too rigid because I think it, these conversations work best when they just go back and forth. But that's yep. interesting. You mentioned about the police coming around to your house and being on a watch list, and obviously you've been on a watch list for some years now, probably coming up three years since at least the um, the the Christchurch shooting when you were visited by the police along with other people that I know personally from the internet who have alternative views. Um, You were also recently featured in a government police intelligence report featured on the BFD about a VJM publishing article. And what I found uh, not overly surprising but interesting somewhat was the fact that they referenced your Facebook post and it had 15 likes or so and most of these seem to be in support and I went on to your page and I found uh, the the article <clears throat> excuse me the article in question that you'd shared and it had about 15 or so likes and one of them was me and so every time you post something there's a government intelligence agent reading your articles going on your site looking at the comments looking at the likes I mean, I was one of the people that was liking it. So were other people I know. I was sending it around to other people I know. And so, I mean, I'm sure there's a government intelligence agent watching this show now or will watch it when it's up to make sure, you know, we're not saying anything too egregious. Yeah. And so um, you also, this is this is something else that I'm thinking of. You wrote an article, I think it was maybe a year or two two years ago, about how the New Zealand police are working in cahoots with the mainstream media. And the basis for that was a Stuff article in which the which Stuff admitted the New Zealand police had shared with them a name of all the people visited under Operation Fakamanu, or yep. as Vinnie Eastwood calls it, Operation Fakamova. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. we're now living in a time where the New Zealand police gives a list to a journalist of people who have the wrong opinions. So, I mean, that's concerning. Yeah, it's really bad. But um, you can see that uh, this is just different arms of the ruling class working together as one yes. single apparatus. The police, mm. uh, the hard power, which uh, mm. they do the the work of the men of iron, like they mm. like they literally smash they the violence. Mm. Yeah, they, they, they do violence in particular. They do physical violence in particular. Whereas the mainstream media are more like the soft power of the ruling class. They do psychological violence. So they depress, yes. they demoralize, they spread fear among the people. They destroy the reputations of wrong thinkers, anybody who stands up. I've been featured in News Hub for when I sold It's Okay to Be White t-shirts on Trade Me. The yep. News Hub, the, the mainstream media, they quoted the Human Rights Commissioner Paul Hunt as saying that I was ideologically adjacent to Brent and Tarrant. And this is the same guy who donated to the mongrel mob to go and speak at one of their conferences. Yeah, he went to the mongrel mob 
to to talk to them as if they're completely normal people, as if they're they, the Mungo Mob are acceptable members of society. Yes. And I'm not a not like VJM publishing member. is not. Mm. No. And that's really amazing if you think about it, mm. because the Mungo Mob, I mean, they're obviously criminals. Like, you, you know, you have to, I've heard that you have to rape somebody to be even allowed into the Mungo Mob. Whereas VJM mm. publishing, I'm just, I don't even have a criminal record, or at least not yet. I'm sure I'll be charged with something in the future, some uh, wrong thinking offence. But I don't yep. even have a criminal record, and I'm 40 no. years old, so no. I'm I'm just I'm a normal person when it comes to not being a criminal. But um, yeah, I attract more opprobrium from the ruling class than what the mongrel mob do, because mm. the mongrel mob actually serve the ruling class by yes. striking fear among the mainstream population. Yes. Whereas I don't do that. I try and enlighten the mainstream population. Mm. I try and show them accurately who their enemies really are. And yes. not only do I not demoralize mm. them, but I try and do the exact opposite, which was what you can see in Clown World Chronicles. You can see an attempt to bring humor to what's otherwise a really dark and unpleasant yes. situation. So I am I am even more of an enemy to the people running society than what the, the mongrel mob are. And that's, yes. that's fascinating if you step back and think about it. You realize it that is. the ruling class really are the enemies of the people yeah so something uh interesting to me was we've when we haven't really but we've sort of just come out of a lockdown in auckland and maybe it feels like a long time ago for for people not in auckland but we've been in lockdown up here since the middle of august and obviously lockdowns you know people's mental health suffers and so do a lot of things but one one common theme reasonably early or midway through the lockdown was common regular news stories about the mongrel mob being allowed to travel between the waikato and northland through auckland at a time when no one else was able to and that happened on several occasions senior gang members were given uh the right were given an exemption to travel from Hamilton, from the Waikato, which was not in lockdown, up to Northland, which was not in lockdown, coming through Auckland. And the sort of um, the manufacturing of the consent for that in the mainstream media was, oh, they're coming up to encourage their gang members to get the vax, or that that was one of the, the common things. And a lot of people were saying, a lot of normies were saying, why the hell are the mongrel mob allowed to come through, but I'm not? Why the hell can I not come through? You know, my my daughter's just had a baby and I'm a grandparent and I need to look after them. Or my brother's dying of cancer, I want to go and see him. Or, you know, I, I've got, you know, stepchildren or whatever up there that I need to go and look after. Why can't I do that? A lot of people with genuine good reasons to travel were not allowed. And yet the mongrel mob were allowed to come you know, as they will. And a lot of people were understanding that it makes no sense. In normal world, why the hell does a criminal get to do something a normal person doesn't, sanctioned by the police? In normal world, that makes absolutely no sense. But to yeah. someone who's read Clown World, to someone who understands it, it makes perfect sense because those people that are causing violence, that are causing fear, they are actually serving the the interests of the ruling class which is to create chaos yep and people that right. are yeah and people that are just living their normal life are not serving to create chaos and so that was just an sort of an anecdote that i remember 
quite well thinking at the time in the lockdown, thinking normal people don't get it, but but you and I do. Yeah, well, the relevant chapter in Clown World Chronicles about this is the chapter about anarcho-tyranny. Now, anarcho-tyranny is the form of government that we are really living under, even though most people don't understand it. And the difference between anarcho-tyranny and, say, your bog-standard Nazi or commie-style tyranny is that ours does not appear to be totalitarian on the surface, although it is if you look underneath. So the reason why the mongrel mob are allowed to basically do whatever they want, and the reason why they get so much positive press in the mainstream media, despite mm. being essentially a terrorist organization, is that mm. the ruling class, they want us people to be terrorized. The mongrel mob really, they are they occupy the niche of the men of iron in the same way that the police do, and they achieve the same thing that the police achieve, which is to terrorize the mainstream population in, into submission. So the ruling class allows them a free reign, essentially a free reign. Like the ruling class knows who the leadership of the Mongol mob are. They know that this leadership has committed horrific crimes that realistically should see them put in prison for a long time, if not straight out executed. But they don't allow this these people to be punished because they serve the ruling class by spreading fear among the population. The more fear that can be spread among the population, the more demoralized that population is, and therefore the less likely that population is to organize and to come together as a united front against the ruling class. So it's really just a further example of the, the same old divide and conquer tactics that the ruling classes have been using for 1,200 years at least, if not longer. Yeah, the term that comes to mind when you were talking there is controlled opposition. And yep. so the mongrel mob leadership and the police leadership are are well acquainted you know they they are well in touch and well, something great, that I, I mean they they feel yeah. the same niche so mm. the the police will look at the mongrel mob with a lot of respect they see they see the same sort of person the way to understand it metaphorically is if you can imagine if you can imagine someone who owns a great deal of property and they know that other people want to come and take their property off them the owner of that property might employ or they might, uh, they might get a whole lot of dogs to defend that yes. property. And that's just what the men of iron are. The police and the mongrel mob, they serve the same niche, which is as a kind of attack dog of the ruling class against the people. And the, and the ruling the... class, they don't, see, they don't see the mongrel mob and the police as that different because they do the same thing, which is terrorise yes. the everyday person into submission. That's all they want. And on the other side of that, on the sort of opposite end of, of the COVID spectrum, is I saw an article the other day, someone had done an Official Information Act request, requesting text messages between Brian Tamaki and the Deputy Police Commissioner, I think it was. And okay. so Brian Tamaki and the Deputy Police Commissioner are also cooperating or working together. And the Police Commissioner was saying, you know, please don't block this road or please don't to have people congregate outside this building or whatever. I think it was the museum. And the police commissioner had texted Brian Tamaki saying, please don't crowd outside the museum because, you know, they've complained. And Brian Tamaki goes, okay, we won't do that. And yeah. and it's like, well, this guy is supposed to be leading protests and yet he's in maybe not cahoots, but at least in communication with, with the senior police that he's supposed to be protesting against. So that that sort of... 
um, indicates to me that there's a, a lot of the protesting or a lot of the resistance we supposedly see is um, is just a token gesture, is controlled opposition, is yeah, to is distract people. Mm. I mean, the ruling class, the ruling class know that the best way to neutralize the opposition to them is for them to lead it themselves. And so that's yes. what they've always done. They've always put their own people into positions of power in any revolutionary or alternative movement that stands up. The reason why they don't like me is because I won't take their money. I'm not taking, I'm not part of the $55 million journalism yes. fund that mm. Jacinda Ardern is, is uh, shoveling to all of the mainstream media organizations that are happily just repeating her propaganda. I'm not mm. part of that. I don't take any government money. All the money that I make comes from my book sales. And mm. so I'm, I'm dependent on people like yourself who buy my books because mm. they understand that I'm telling the truth. And mm. uh, so that's why I'm, I get targeted. Anybody, basically anybody who steps off the plantation gets targeted. So yeah, Vinny Eastwood, yeah. he's been targeted even harder than me. Like he's, yep. he, he was arrested for his yep. lockdown protest. He's still yep. awaiting trial. And yep. um, yeah, the next stage, like I said before, is for people like us to get disappeared, yeah. which uh, you see happened in it happens in every totalitarian state sooner or later because the people will naturally resist totalitarianism, and uh, the totalitarians, well, if they allow people to speak freely, those people will inevitably speak about how the totalitarians are evil, and mm. so if they want to prevent opposition to them, they have to smash it. And that's what that's exactly what they're intending to do, and that's what they have done and are doing. Yeah, I, I've done some a little bit of commentary on Facebook about uh, clown world journalism, if you will. And something that you've highlighted is you did a couple of, I think one was an article, one was a Facebook post. One was an article about how the mainstream media controlled dissent, and used the example of the groundswell protest where the uh, chairman or the president or whatever he was of Federated Farmers has come out and condemned the groundswell protest and said that they don't represent us and they're crazy and they're anti-vax, anti-climate, all this. Yeah. And you also mentioned Sue Gray as someone who's been a cannabis activist and now an anti-vax activist and is condemned as crazy or insane by the mainstream media. And you also posted up a picture on Facebook because if you read a stuff article now, you go to the bottom, they ask for money. They say, you know, I think they say this article didn't write itself or something. Well, you know, half the article is a copy and pasted press release, so it virtually did write itself. But and the other half are probably uh, written by intelligence officers within the NVFIS yeah. or the CIA. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And one, one art article that you posted was condemning Sue Gray for asking for donations to fight the government in court and then and then saying oh Sue Vax, uh, Sue Sue Vax, Sue Gray is just out for money and then at the bottom of the page this stuff articles asking for money and so yeah, it, it's, it's hilarious it's, isn't it it's they absolutely ironic they don't have any shame at all no and and the other thing is i read stuff this morning i don't know if it's still the number one article but it was the big sort of headline article on the front page saying that the 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 uh chief executive of the Christchurch City Council or something, I don't know if it was that specifically, it might have been Environment Canterbury or something, the chief executive is unvaccinated. Yeah. And they did a whole yeah. article about one public servant's 
medical information. So that's the yeah, state of journalism now. It, yeah, it is incredible. What what it really made me think of was how during Nazi Germany, the Nazi newspapers they would identify people working within organizations who they thought were Jewish, and then they'd write an entire article about how they were a Jew and have mm. an entire article about how they were of Jewish descent and how they attend the synagogue and how they're the enemy of, essentially the enemy of the rest of the population. And that is exactly the same blueprint that you see them following with this unvaxxed, this article yep. about how this, this, I think his name was Mr. Moffat, how he was uh, unvaccinated. It's just, yes. it's just the same attempt to shun and exclude and destroy anybody who goes against the prevailing narrative, the ruling class narrative. Yeah, exactly. And it, it would be, it's it's sort of the um, the mainstream media hypocrisy where you could write an entire article about someone who's not vaxxed. A little bit like the other example is that story on, I think it was News Hub a week or two ago, where they sent someone in with a hidden camera to that anti-vax doctor. And now that doctor's you know, going to lose their medical license and maybe end up in court. Um, that's the sort of journalism we have now. Yeah. And the the other side of that is something interesting. I don't know if you've heard of it. I, I don't know if I've spoken to you about it. Uh, there's a broadcaster in New Zealand. His name's Sean Plunkett, and he's been around for a while. And he, he got fired from one of the mainstream radio stations, and he's now setting up his own network it's called platform and it's going to be like a radio station but online only and he's trying to to be alternative media but if you actually look up um his his website and uh, you look up his his name and all this you'll see some articles about it it's going to be it's it's funded by owen glenn and other business interests like that but then when you go on his page he claims that we're not corporate funded we're not taxpayer funded we're funded by regular people and so he's trying to put one foot in the alternative media camp that you and i are in right now yeah. uh, two people in their own home doing a show and he's trying to have one foot in the mainstream camp and his page said that we're going to hold the woke and the wackos to account now, if you look up Sean's Twitter or his Facebook, he condemns anti-vax protesters. He condemns anti-mandate protesters. He condemns anyone who's basically against the prime minister um, for any, you know, substantive reasons. And he calls himself the resistance. You you, you can yeah. go on his page and he calls himself the resistance. And so I say, what the hell are you resisting, Sean? Because yeah. it's it's just... It's more controlled opposition. Someone yeah, like controlled opposition. Controlled opposition. Yeah. That's the term. That that is that is precisely what it is. A lot of these people who claim to be mavericks, they really are just ruling class lackeys, the same as the mainstream media, and uh, they present themselves as alternative media, but they are anything but the The real alternative media is people who are not interested in having a reputation for being a, a right thinker. If you are willing to say things that other people might find appalling, such as mm -hmm. such as what I've done in Clown World Chronicles and what we're doing here in this podcast, only then, only if you risk, the, only if you risk going against the herd, can you truly be considered to be a free thinker. 
Yeah, well, I've just brought up while you were talking his page. It's called theplatform.kiwi. And it says, we are building a revolutionary multimedia platform which will be free of political bias, dedicated to robust debate and not constrained by cancel culture. We'll hold the government, the opposition, the mainstream media, the Twitterati, the woke and the wackos to account. We're not in the pocket of any corporate and we are not taxpayer funded. We are truly independent. We are the resistance and we'll be here real soon. So I, I would have some respect for him and I would I would listen if if I thought he was honest. But when you when you read his Twitter, it's very obvious that he's he's either misdiagnosed the problem of why people distrust the media or he's just controlled opposition. And the reason why people look to alternative media like like you and I, and I, I am into quite a bit of um, alternative media now, whether it's podcasts, something like Joe Rogan, which a lot of people are into, or, or just some of the podcasts you've been on in the last few weeks. Yep. It's, it's You're getting someone's honest opinion. Now, anyone who's watching this knows that everything you and I are saying is what we, we honestly believe. I'm not being paid to say anything, and neither are you. Yep. And so when people turn on the radio or the TV, they know that that person is is delivering a narrative. And something that I I mentioned in, uh, you probably remember one of my Facebook videos I did a few weeks ago in between bands, I referenced an article where someone had texted a music radio station and said, why are you guys always talking about the vax? You've been told to talk about the vax constantly. And there was a mainstream media article that said a conspirat uh, conspiratorial text message was sent to the <sighs> such and such FM. You know, a conspiracy theorist had said, you've been told to talk about the vax. Well, you know, anyone who points out something that's incredibly obvious is now a conspiracy theorist. Yeah, so, you see Andrew Little, Andrew Little started yes. this. He, yes. he said himself that uh, basically anybody who questions government dogma is a conspiracy mm. theorist. And it's yes. also been taken up by the rest of the Labour Party who claim that any information which contradicts the information being passed down from the single source of truth, in other words, the government, mm. any information that contradicts this is misinformation. And the yes. incredible thing about it is there is documented evidence that the government lies and continues to lie. Yes. They have lied about, for example, the medicinal benefits of cannabis. They've yes. lied about this for 90 years. And they mm. don't have any shame about it at all. Any person who wants to do the research can simply mm. go to scholar.google.com, type in medicinal cannabis, and they'll get literally tens of thousands of hits on scientific papers demonstrating the medicinal value of cannabis. So any any person with basic research skills can find out for themselves that the government has been lying, not just about cannabis. You can You can look up the scientific papers that tell you about vaccines if you want to as well. And you'll yes. find that the government just simply lies. They just they lie yeah. shamelessly and, and they lie continuously and they're going to keep doing it and they're going to keep trying to destroy anybody who contradicts them. It's just sheer totalitarianism. There's no difference between our current government and the government of the Nazis or the government of the commies. The only difference is that our current government hasn't had enough time to really commit as, as horrific a, a set of crimes yet, mm. but they will. They will, and you'll see that coming over the next 10 years as neoliberal totalitarianism inevitably reaches its its crisis point. Yeah, and 
in your podcast with Chad that I was watching last night, you talked about how we've just had a new opposition leader and he's going to save us from Jacinda, who saved us from Bill English, who saved us from John Key, who saved us from Clark, who saved us from Shipley, from Bolger, from, um, you know, Longy and Muldoon and Kirk. And, and yeah, well, Kirk, Kirk, I think, was actually the last decent New Zealand Prime Minister. If you, um, I won't count Holyoke because he wasn't really a Prime Minister for very long, but Norman Kirk, I think, was the last actual decent person that we had in charge. And since then, since the neoliberal era began, uh, we've just, mm. yeah, we've just had scum in power. I've sometimes thought that perhaps Muldoon was the last decent Prime Minister, not because he did a very good job, but I think. I think that he thought he was really working in our interests. I, I I don't think he was working in anyone else's interests. I think he was trying to do his best, but obviously it failed miserably. I, I don't know if you would agree with that. Yeah, that's, that's possible. I mean, I won't say that's wrong. I say that's definitely possible mm. because uh, the real the real evil didn't start until David Longy. David Longy was the first New Zealand Prime Minister to clearly be following a globalist agenda and who mm. clearly and openly uh, threw away the nationalist agenda, which which our nation mm. had otherwise, like other nations, which we'd been following for our entire existence up until that point. Mm. Well, nationalism's a dirty word now, of course. Yeah, it is. It is, which is mm. incredible, because um, nationalism has, has come to take the blame for the crimes of imperialism. Like, mm. when you say nationalism to most people, the first thing they think of is the, the Nazi invasion of Poland. Mm. But the irony is that... Uh, German nationalism in the form of the Nazis was actually a reaction to the imperialism of others. For example, the British. The British Empire mm. controlled 40 million square kilometers of territory at the start mm. of World War II. The German Empire controlled 660,000 square kilometers of territory. So the British Empire was some 70 times bigger. But mm. the, the prevailing narrative that we're given is that the Germans were trying to take over the world. And mm. that's just, I mean, it's absurd on the face of it if you realize that the British Empire controlled 70 times more territory. It was obviously mm. the imperialists who were trying to take over the world and who had succeeded and not the nationalists. Mm. The nationalists were a reaction to imperialism. Mm. So everything's a lie, but that's part of the whole clown mm. world idea is that everything's been, everything's been flipped upside down. And yeah. most people, most people believe the opposite of the truth in, in many cases. And I've got the generational relations article in front of me, but I think we've, we've covered a fair a fair amount of ground on that um talking about you mentioned history in clown world and i haven't printed that chapter but um obviously that relates in a lot of ways to the education chapter uh education and history obviously the um the teaching of history is and obviously you know history is something that a history professor or a history teacher is always going to have a lot of control over how it's taught and that's inevitable but we we have state-sponsored lies as our history, yeah. and and history is history always belongs to those who won. That that much is obvious. But we we have and and I guess I guess now if we sort of pivot towards talking about education, I'll I'll just read the first um, paragraph of your education chapter. It says going through the education system is tough at any time in any place. Most children would rather be outside playing than sitting in a classroom. And for them, it's not always obvious what the value of an education might be. Although getting educated is, in theory, a great privilege, in practice, the value of an education varies. And then you 
you uh, write that Clownwood education began with the Columbine High School massacre, which I talked about at the beginning, in 1999. This was when most people realised how shit the school system really was. Up until then, it was laughed off or denied. After then, it was acknowledged that school truly sucked for a great number of people and that bullying and emotional abuse were rife. So that's the, the start of that chapter. I know school was terrible for a lot of people. I know a lot of people found it really awful and some people just found it boring. Um, I guess, what, what was your, you, you grew up in New Zealand, you went through the New Zealand school system. What was your, uh, your experience like? Well, I realised quite young, because I was told this by my grandfather, who was a World War II veteran, and he'd raised me to never, ever trust the government or the media or the priesthood, because he knew that these people will say any lie that they can think of to get people to go and fight their wars for them. So I, I knew from the beginning that um, the school was going to try and brainwash me into doing its bidding. And so I was, I was naturally quite resistant. But uh, my experience was that school was, school was basically a prison. What they want is to condition people to become as submissive towards authority as possible. So they want you to follow orders from your teachers until following orders has become so ingrained that it's just natural. So that once you graduate from high school, you can go out and follow orders of your commanding officer. You can, you'll go and charge a machine gun nest and, and bayonet to death the working class men inside that nest who you've never met and you don't have any enmity towards. But you'll do that anyway just because you've been given an order and you naturally follow it. And, mm -hmm. and also you're conditioned to submit to your boss so that uh, you'll go and work a shit job for an inadequate pay and you'll just keep on going and do that for the next 40 or 50 years and make other people rich. So the education system, I didn't find it too bad in the sense that, I mean, I was, I was, I was supposedly somebody who the education system was there for in the sense that I was a nerd and I studied a lot. I studied all the time and I got good grades, but um, even so I was acutely aware that the point of the system wasn't to educate me for my own benefit, but to condition me into submission in particular submission towards uh appointees of the ruling class who wanted me to do their bidding yeah and i've highlighted another paragraph which um and, and what i will say and i've told this to a lot of people is i found reading clown world really good because all the chapters are very short so mm. you can read a chapter in two minutes I mean, yep. and you can just pick it up. You can go, oh, okay, I'm going to read a bit of Clown World. I'll read two chapters, and then I can put it down and walk away, come back, rather yeah. than, you know, going through and it's taking you 45 minutes to get through a chapter, and you're like, oh, well, I, I need to go now, but where do I stop? Where do I start? So that that's uh, something quite good. You can get through it um, in small segments. Now, I've highlighted this part. It says, unfortunately, politics has prevailed. The opportunity to mould the minds of the next generation proved too tempting for those who had ambitions to reshape society. Schools have always been brainwashing centres, but they have become worse in recent decades because they have attracted a, sort, a certain sort to their staff. Now, a lot of people will say, my wife's a teacher, my sister's a teacher, uh, you know, my mother was a teacher, and she's great, she's nice. She cares about kids. 
you know, she works hard to to educate kids and and stays to help them. What would you say to to someone who says that? Well, I I'm sure that with the teaching core, much as with the police, there are yes. good people. Yep. Some of them are good people. I don't doubt that. But the institution itself, as the educational institution, it has become full now of people who have have joined it not for the sake of spreading knowledge, not for the sake of spreading wisdom or insight, but for the opportunities afforded by teaching to mold the minds of the next generation. A lot of people I know who are teachers, are they are openly politically active in the sense that uh, they are they are openly some sort of Marxist. Now it's, yes. I had a friend who tried to become a teacher a few years back and he found himself incapable of, of uh, completing the teacher's qualification because mm-hmm. he realized that it was, it's just, it's just basically Marxism. Now you basically, you, you don't have a choice. You either raise children to think of themselves in Marxist terms, to think of themselves, to think of the world through a Marxist lens, or you get fired. You don't. You don't have yep. the opportunity anymore. The uh, Marxist philosopher Rudy Dutschka, he came up with a concept called the long march through the institutions. Yes. And this is something that's that's extremely important to understand if a person wants to understand Clown World, because Clown World, in my conception, in Clown World Chronicles, I describe Clown World as an alliance between capitalists and Marxists, which yes. is which is what people have so much trouble understanding. They think that capitalists and Marxists are opposed and that uh, society is a battle between these two sides, but they're actually on the same side. The capitalists are just the right wing of the ruling class and the Marxists are just the left wing of the ruling class. And so the the educational system, the the uh, the right wing has been happy to just concede it. And they've just mm. they've been happy to let the Marxists just take over. The long march through the institutions is now complete. The Marxists yep. are in total control of education in the same way that they're in total control of media. And uh, anybody who comes up with a counter narrative just gets eliminated. There is no chance that a person could become a teacher and and uh, try and teach children from a non-Marxist perspective. If they did that, they'd be written off as a racist and, yep. and just they'd be fired. Yeah, so, so you've described uh, a quick way to describe clown world is too much capitalism, too much communism at the same time. And it's basically economic capitalism, social communism. Well, people think of these things as as if they were contradictory, but they're not at all contradictory because really capitalism is just a right-wing form of totalitarianism. And Marxism is, of course, a left-wing form of totalitarianism. So what what you've got in reality is you've got the authoritarians have... You've got one bird with two wings. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Well, as I put it, mm. two cheeks of the same ass. Yes. And they're, they're really just, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, they are, they are one, you can think of them as one single entity with two faces now. Yeah. And uh, talking about um, activist teachers, I, I went to the largest independent school in New Zealand, which is St. Kentigan College. And I was there from 2013 to 2019, so six and a bit years. Yep. And I had um, that sort of school obviously the experience I had at school was a lot different to what most people had at school. That particular school obviously attracted um, a very wealthy sort of student body. Um, And to some extent, 
the teachers were the same, a lot weren't. But there weren't, in my experience, too many social activist teachers, although I had one in particular that I remember. And this was in 2018, so it was three years ago now. It was in geography, and we were, uh, I can't remember exactly what we are talking about, but the teacher said, can anyone name some traditional Maori foods? And I don't think we had any Maori students in the class, and no one put their hand up. And so I looked around, well, no one's putting their hand up, and so I, yes, Jackson, I said, KFC. And the teacher was... <laughs> All everyone was like behind <laughs> laughing. And the teacher, this was like a feminist, you know, don't shave your armpits, don't shower too often, green hippie teacher. And she used to smell. And she goes, Whoa! Colonial racism at SKC sinking in college. SKC so white. Yeah. And I yeah, thought, yeah. good lord. And yeah. as soon as we left the class, everyone, everyone came up to me and they were they were laughing and aha, that was so funny, good one. Oh, did you see Miss? She was so angry. <laughs> I didn't get in trouble or anything, but yeah. but I, I thought that was just a, a good anecdote to mention. Um, you've got here in the next uh, the next paragraph after the one I read about the long march through the institutions. It's only a couple of lines, I might as well read it. It says, the long march through the institutions is the name given to the Marxist strategy of reshaping society by infiltrating its institutions, taking high positions of power, then using that power to destroy their opponents. Along with yep. the media, the education system has been a primary target of these activists. So in another podcast you did with Mr. Berry, you you said that you left the University of Canterbury after your master's degree because the march through the institutions was complete and you felt that the education system was no longer worth being part of. So would you perhaps talk about your personal experience uh, of that? Yeah, well, I, don't, I think in 2007, when I completed my master's degree, I think uh, the long march through the institutions wasn't quite complete, but I could see it coming up through the undergraduates because uh, in the undergraduates at the time you could see that um, Marxism was in total control like if you if you had an opinion that was not Marxist you would just be utterly shunned and that was the point of the long march through the institutions was to exclude anybody who thought differently the long march through the institutions then is it can be considered just another form of the same kind of collective totalitarianism that the Soviets were the best example of so um, for me personally, uh, I, found, I found the university experience extremely disappointing in the mm. sense that I'd expected it to be a place where you could, I'd expected university to be a place where you could go to and talk about basically anything and, and discuss ideas purely logically and purely rationally. And what I discovered was um, that may have been true 60 or 70 years ago, mm. but uh, today, the university system really is just a brainwashing center. You have to think the same way as everybody else, otherwise you just get completely shunned. You can think for yourself if you want to, but uh, you'll be you'll be reduced to the fringes, and uh, you can talk about that only online, or in places like uh, places like 4chan or places like this mm. podcast. But uh, if you want to have if you want to have a mainstream role, yeah, you you have to you have to bend the knee. The long march through the institutions is now complete in the sense that 
you 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 won't you won't be part of the university system unless you think mm. the same way that they do free speech is gone free thought yeah. is gone it's um yeah it's just a it's just a brainwashing institution now and that's uh, yeah that's, that's incredibly bad if you think of the fact that the university system it's it's actually it's necessary it's an extremely important institution because if the ruling class well, if, if the if the young people who are coming up in society, if they don't know how to think rationally, then the society that they build is just going to go completely off the rails. And you can see that yeah. happening now. The, the people who have graduated from the university system recently, take Jacinda Ardern, for example, she's just she's just a, a complete party functionary. You know, mm. she everything she says is just straight straight from the Marxist playbook. And mm. um, that's all that's all you're going to get now, unless the university mm. system is completely reformed. I have an idea that um, a new university needs to be started, which is entirely independent of the existing system and yep. uh, which has a specifically um, a specific a specific free speech orientation. Now, there are attempts to build such universities in the United States. You see them starting to happen now. Uh, mm. Universities where anything goes with regards to discussing the nature of the world or, or human nature. And uh, I think I think we're about to see, even though the long march through the institutions has been successfully completed, I think we're about to see a counter reaction to that. And it won't be it won't be one that the capitalists are gonna run. It's gonna be one that's it's it's gonna be pushed by more nationalist interests. So um yeah, I think there's still there's still hope that the education system can be salvaged, but in its current state, um, I think you'd be better off avoiding it. If you're a young person today, I think you're better off educating yourself on the internet rather yes. than going to university and being subjected to what realistically is just going to be a brainwashing program. Yeah, and that's interesting. And in fact, in clown world society now, in order to have a job, you have to go through the university system. If you want to have any sort of decent income, other than being a tradesman, yep. your only option for a decent living is to go to university. Yep. And that wasn't always the case. I, No one in my family has gone to university. None of my parents, none of my grandparents, great-grandparents, no one's gone. And the, the only... Uh, People, the only one person that I could say I'm related to that's been to university is one of my cousins who's of the same generation as me. Yep. So no one, no one in my family in any prior generation has been to university. And yet my family's been quite successful. But, but, it, but short of being a, a tradesman or an entrepreneur, there's no, uh, no decent path to a decent living without, without going through university. And so, and that's 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 an, an alliance between the school system and the education and the university system. When I was at school, we had this sort of career counselling about, oh, what are you what are you guys going to do once you leave here? And never once was there any suggestion to any of us that there was any alternative pathway than going to university and signing oh, up to university. And doing some degree and something i've noticed is a hell of a lot of people that i know personally and people that i don't know personally have gone to university started a degree decided they didn't like it and done something else 
And I'm thinking, good Lord, what the heck have you just spent a year and tens of thousands of dollars? Because obviously I'm from a you know, very privileged background and a very privileged school uh, where people had the chance to do things like that, where they could say, oh, I'm going to do a law degree. Oh, I don't like it. Oh, I'm going to do you know, a finance degree. Oh, I don't like it. You know, oh, okay, now I'm going to do a commerce degree in marketing. Okay, I like that. Yeah. And 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 that's that's common now. And so why do you think, short of the profit motive, which is obvious, short of the profit motive, why do you think people have been uh, coerced in a way into university other than the profit motive? And do you think it is just for more years of state-sponsored indoctrination? Well, I think what's important to remember here is that the university system used to be really great. I mean, my undergrad was pretty good. My, in fact, my undergrad was great because that I did my undergrad. I started that in 1999, and so I graduated in 2001. And um, I that was before the long march through the institutions had really been complete. You saw it in the sense that the university newspaper was under total control of Marxists. You had to be a Marxist to to write articles or, or get your letters printed in it. So they had already taken over some institutions. But in general, you could go to university 20 years ago and you could meet intelligent, logical, rational people and discuss whatever you wanted without having to worry about getting shunned or, or cancelled. But mm. um, that's different nowadays. And I don't think many people have realised. I think there's a lot of people who are 40, like me, or 50 or 60 years old, and they think that the university system is the same as when they were young. In other words, it's a place where smart young people can go and educate themselves. But um, I don't think they realize that it's no longer like this. I don't think they realize, I don't think there's a general realization that the university system has now been completely co-opted to serve political ends and that it's no longer an education system as such. Mm. And uh, I, I think it's that's probably still going to take another 10, 20 years before that has widespread understanding because um, people are still, people still think in terms of like Ernest Rutherford's days where you could go to Canterbury University and conduct your own experiments and then go overseas and, and win a Nobel Prize. People think it's still like that, like it, like it's still honest researchers doing honest research. But um, people have been slow to understand that's no longer the case. The university system yeah. is, is, it's been, it's been conquered essentially by political interests. And it's no longer yeah. a place for free thinking and research. Yeah, that's right. And coming coming back to boomers, because, you know, that's always fun. Uh, half the time they are ignorant about uh, modern reality. The other half the time they they want to rewrite history and pull the rug pull the not the rug pull the ladder up from behind them and deny yeah. deny younger people the opportunities they had but in terms of the uh ignorance uh angle i think a lot of them you know as as you said in our last show they've let their minds become stale and they mm. still think uh, some of them are not being dishonest they they're just ignorant and they say they they honestly think it's easy to buy a house well, they honestly think yeah. that the education system's about gaining knowledge. Yeah. And yeah. And I've also got another article uh, that I printed because I, I read it the other day. It's called The Most Terrifying Statistics You've Ever Seen About New Zealand. Oh, yeah. And you said 
the future belongs to those who show up for it. And basically the terrifying statistics is that the only people that are having any kids are the ones who are totally uneducated. Yeah, well, that is that is truly terrifying. If you think about if you think about the fact that a society has to choose between eugenics or dysgenics, mm. it has to choose one of the two. And if you've got a situation where poorly educated people are having six kids each, five or six kids each, but educated people are only having one child each, then you can't escape the fact that your society is going to get dumber. Even that one of the most the single most denied scientific fact in our society today is the fact that intelligence is mostly genetic. Intelligence is, yep. in adults is about 80% genetic, which is similar to the extent to which height is genetic. Now, everybody understands that height is genetic. Everybody understands yep. that tall people almost always have tall parents and vice versa yep. for short people. But people yep. don't understand in general that this is equally as true of intelligence as it is of height and the, the problem the problem with that is if you only have low intelligent people breeding and high intelligent people don't breed then mm. your society is inevitably going to become less intelligent the next generation mm. is going to become less intelligent now this is not only a new zealand thing it's worth noting that this phenomenon is replicated uh this phenomenon is replicated all throughout the western world and even in China, you can look at a, a map of the birth rates in China and you can divide it by region and you can overlay that with a map of IQ in China divided by region. And you can see that the high IQ areas yeah. like around Beijing and Shanghai, uh, the, the fertility rate is about one child per woman. But yeah. uh, in the low IQ rural areas where the IQ is closer to 85, 90 than, than, than 115 like it is in Beijing, and these places, they have a lot more children. So you can see that the entire world is becoming dumber because of this dysgenic yes. effect and it's hard to know what really can be done on it like if, if smart people don't want to have children then um then realistically realistically things it's are just going to collapse mm. yeah yeah and, and i've, that, I've that's highlighted why, that's, why, that's why that article says it's the single most terrifying statistic you can find about yes. new zealand and it, it's true it is true mm. that really some people are breeding yeah, and I've highlighted this paragraph. I'll just read it. Over the course of two or three generations, these trends will lead to significantly fewer people capable of completing higher education and significantly more people incapable of doing so. On current demographic trends, therefore, it looks like New Zealand will become dumber and dumber. As it does, it will become poorer and poorer and consequently more shitty and violent in most aspects. Now... <laughs> As, as you've just said, the one of the biggest denials of reality today is that uh, intelligence is genetic, as is, yep. um, you know, as is intelligence correlated with wealth. You know, the more intelligent yep. you are, the less likely you are to be poor. And everyone yep. basically accepts that. If you're intelligent enough, you'll find a way to make money. Now, when I read some of your uh, more controversial opinions, shall we call them, I sometimes like to do little experiments. So you've, you, you, I think you've referred to it as the Jewish position where it's a denial of um, the, the link between both race and IQ and um, class and IQ. And I thought to myself, well, that, that makes perfect sense to me that race and IQ, class and IQ are linked because it's genetic. 
Yep. And so I've thought, well, do most people think this way or do most people people not? And so I like to, in my real life and in, in person, I like to go and talk to people and find out what they think. And so I'll, you know, just, just in my day-to-day life, I'll strike up a conversation with someone and sort of sound them out for what they think. And I found, as you say, to my surprise, a lot of people utterly reject the idea that intelligence is genetic. That, like, what someone said to me was, if you take a child from Africa or from the for- from the jungle, you know, when they're a baby, just born, and put them into the West, put them into the UK, into London, Australia, wherever, and they, they grow up in a Western family, they will be just as intelligent as the people that raised them. Yeah, yeah. But that's not the reality. No, it's, and, it's the complete opposite of reality. That statement is as ridiculous as saying that you could take a raspberry bush and treat it the same way as you'd treat an oak tree, and the raspberry bush will grow up to be as tall as an oak tree. It's mm. absolutely absurd. Yep. But I think there's two reasons why people reject this truth, even though all of the scientific evidence supports it. The first mm. reason is that it's kind of damaging to the human ego. It's kind of yes. damaging to the human ego to accept that you are limited by genes. And mm. you want to, most people like to think that uh, they can they can just simply make of themselves whatever they wish. The reality is that you are limited. Like mm. for me, for example, I'm six foot seven. Mm. I could never, ever become a professional jockey mm. or a, a professional. Like if I was going to be a rugby player, I could never be a halfback. If I was going to mm. be a cricket player, I could never be a wicketkeeper because mm. I'm just simply genetically uncertain for these, mm. for these positions. Mm. The second major factor is uh, globalists are in total control of mm. of the the popular narrative and the nationalists mm. and the the other realistic thinkers have been written off as racists now the thing about globalism is that the globalists they want to import as much cheap labor as they possibly can into new zealand and every Precisely. other country yeah because they want to make as much profit as they can and they don't care about other mm. considerations so yeah. in order for this to be acceptable they need to manufacture consent for the mass importation of cheap labor. And yes. they they know that they can't do that if people believed that intelligence was genetic because that what would follow from that belief is that the generations that follow the, the immigrants, if you take, say, 85 IQ immigrants from the third world, if intelligence is genetic, then their children are also going to be 85 IQ and mm. that's going to and they're going to be poor and they're going to be violent like 85 IQ people are all around the world. So in order for the globalists to manufacture consent for the mass importation of cheap labor, the globalists had to force us to believe that intelligence was a result of the environment and not a result of genes. So, and and part of these globalists is you've got a lot of teachers as well. Most, the, the vast majority of members of the teacher corps are globalists in the sense that, yeah. They, they they follow they 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 reject nationalism in particular mm. so yeah for these two reasons it's um it's widely the the, the an absolute falsehood is now widely accepted mm. and and I did I did find that 
I did find that interesting because when I when I did some of those experiments and I talked to people that I know about it and I and I asked their opinion, I expected a lot more people to to agree with me and that yes, of course it's 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 genetic. And sure. okay, yes, there are some exceptions. You know, there are some people who come from a fairly low IQ background that that grow up to be great. You know, that that's obviously happens. Uh, not often, but certainly does happen, and so it's not. Yes. You know, obviously there are there are exceptions, but I mean, it's 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 like um, we've been conditioned now to ignore the evidence of our own eyes. You know, yeah, we've, that we've is, been... and that's 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 straight out of what mm. George Orwell said in nineteen eighty four. They can yep. get you to believe the exact opposite of the truth, and mm. and you won't even you won't even question the lies you've been told. That's how it is. Like mm. I read every now and then, I'll read a, a journalist will write, he'll, the, the journalist will be outraged that somebody believes that the different races differ in IQ. Mm -hmm. And it's incredible that a journalist could be outraged by this because it's an established scientific fact and has been mm -hmm. for over a century. So really, you've got a situation where the truth is the truth is just all that matters is the power to enforce a narrative. The truth almost has yes. no power nowadays. The truth mm -hmm. only gets spoken about in in the, the fringes of society, places like this podcast. You know, mm. we can speak the truth because we're not part of the, the control mm. system. Mm. But uh, if you want to be part of the control system, you have to deny the truth. And that's that's really terrifying yeah. because if you look at if you look at the examples set by societies all throughout history, once a society starts denying the truth, it starts its own destruction. And uh, you can see already that um, what I call the Jewish position, in other words, anti-hereditarianism, you can see that has already led to to widespread uh, social degradation in the entire Western world because we've accepted a lot of mass immigration from third world countries where the average IQ is around 85 or 90. And mm. uh, those immigrants, the offspring of these immigrants have turned out not to have the same IQ as... as surprise, surprise. Are. Yeah. Mm. Turns out, yeah. It turns out genetics is actually real. Biology is real. Mm. And if you deny it, you suffer. Now, and as you say, Nazi for this, but um, you, anybody can check this for themselves. You can go to scholar.google.com. You can type in race and IQ. And in particular, if you find a paper by Philippe Rushton called 30 Years, type in Rush, Rushton Jensen 30 Years, and you can find an article where he's discussing what he's observed over his 30 years of studying the race and IQ question. And he talks a lot about right. uh, the political interests of people who deny biological reality yeah and as you say reality when you stop believing in it doesn't go away yeah so that's what philip k dick said yeah yes philip k that's the philip k dick quote he said yes. specifically that um you can tell if something's real because you can stop believing in it and it'll still be there and it's the yep. same with race and iq you know it's real because you can deny it all you like but you still see that uh individuals young people from low iq cultures turn up to have less academic and uh and uh, career performance the academic and career performance is lower exactly as would be predicted by somebody who understood the biological reality behind iq yeah and and i think um obviously it's difficult to cut off one sort of discussion at any one point but i think we've covered a lot of good ground on the school system and the education system the university system um i want to talk now just 
just about something you mentioned before. And I guess the trouble with these discussions is I'll say something and make three or four points. You'll say something, and make three or four points, and then we'll pursue one of them and we'll leave a whole lot behind. Something you mentioned yeah. before that I want to talk about for a little bit and then, then we'll change change direction is you talked about a lot of people are better off not going to university and instead educating themselves online. Yep. Now, uh, I, I'm i not enrolled in university. I'm a full-time worker, have been for two and a half years, just over that. Uh, before that, I was at school for 13 years, um, left school when I was 17. And the expectation of someone like me who, who went to a, to a high school and has decent enough intelligence is, oh, you're going to university, you know, you're being herded into that system and, and so on to study law, commerce, arts, this and the other. Um, two points, um, and I think we'll talk about them both, is one is you've described the school system as conditioning people for the workplace in terms of bullying. People get bullied at school and they get bullied in the workplace. Uh, as people, you know, have any individuality, and George Carlin talked about this, people have any individuality beaten out of them um, mentally and so that they're just corporate drones by the time they get to the workplace. And a lot of people now, particularly on the right, they like to condemn anyone who has an interest in something not profitable. So if someone wants to study history, well, I can't make money out of that, so don't bother. You know, if I want yeah. to study psychology, well, if unless you're going to be a psychologist, don't bother. You know, if I want to study music because I really love music and because music is great and it brings people a lot of joy, no, I can't make money out of that, so don't bother. So maybe talk about that. And, and the other thing um, I'll ask you to talk about is educating yourself online. Well, there's never been a a better time we're in what a lot of people call the information age where people can get anything they want on a computer on a phone on in a book uh people yep. can can educate themselves far better than a university could yep. just by reading watching videos listening to other people so if you could talk about about uh degrees that are non-profitable and self-educating perhaps yeah regarding the first point it's important to point out that as much as we've talked about Marxism so far in this podcast, I mentioned in Clown World Chronicles, Clown World Chronicles is written from the perspective of the alternative centre, and it has to be pointed out that the capitalists are equally as much to blame for the current shit situation in Clown World as what the Marxists are. So I don't want to sit here and rag on Marxists as if I was a, a, an alternative, a member of the alternative right, because that's not what I am. I'm an alternative centrist, and as such, I'd like to point out that capitalists are just as much to blame as marxists for the way things are the way that capitalists have wrecked things is that they are entirely soulless the capitalist mindset is purely materialist it doesn't acknowledge any spiritual it doesn't acknowledge the importance of spirituality doesn't acknowledge the importance of the human soul at all it uh, the capitalist mindset has reduced the human animal to uh, a unit of production so they they have no concept of the higher spirit they don't understand things like art they don't understand things like culture all they understand is is the dollar and so the 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 capitalists have or the shekel they've also 
they've also ruined the university system by turning it into a glorified kind of polytech. The university system originally was meant to be somewhere where you'd go and get a complete education, which is to say that you didn't merely learn how to perform a job, but you you became a higher quality of person by understanding mm. the things like history and psychology and, and art and things that aren't immediately profitable, but which alleviate human suffering greatly because you cannot you cannot live on just money alone. Like man cannot live on bread alone. And uh, it's true, if you study economic psychology, you realize that once a person has enough money to have their basic needs met, their, their needs for shelter and food and so on, more money doesn't actually increase their happiness. Once a person has enough money to have their basic needs met, further happiness comes from things like social connection and artistic expression and all of the other things that a university is, is supposed to teach about. So it's, yeah, it's important to realize that if you're going to look at the world from the perspective of an alternative centrist, the capitalists have done just as much damage as the Marxists and they continue to do so. Realistically, the ruling class of clown world is a materialist alliance between the two the materialist and soulless right and the materialist and soulless left. That's why their greatest fear is people like me who talk about spirituality. Like, I don't care that much about politics, but for, for me, the most important thing is that we undergo a spiritual revival and appreciate what really matters, which is, which is the human connection to the divine. And that relates to the second point that you wanted me to talk about uh, yeah. regarding the possibility of uh, self-education today yes. with the internet the way it is you can you can talk to whatever your interest is doesn't matter you can talk you can find a group of people who somewhere in the world who will have organized around that one particular interest like reddit so, for example yeah yeah i mean reddit's a great example of that as, as much as reddit's a pile of shit and sends it to hell it's really just uh the politics it has its uses yeah, well, it's really, it's yeah, it has a lot of uses, really. If mm. um, if you if you dismiss the politics subreddits and mm. the all the subreddits where they talk about politics, mm. and you just um, focus on uh, specific hobby interests, like um, for me as a psychologist, there's a lot of yep. subreddits for. There's a schizophrenia subreddit that's extremely interesting. Right. There's okay. a subreddit about complex post-traumatic stress disorder that's extremely interesting, and both of these subreddits have got hundreds of people which you know there's no other place on the internet where they can gather and talk about that specific subject so if you are, if you want to educate yourself um there's never been a better opportunity to simply go on the internet and independently find people who are experts in that particular subject yes now um the difficulty is of course you won't be able to get a qualification from that you won't get a degree no. or, or a piece of paper that says that you are also an expert in that particular subject but uh, i think that's going to start changing <coughs> I think you're going to see yeah you're going to see uh, independent orders of scholars starting to stand up and this is actually how the original university system began because uh if you go way back in the day there was no university there was only semer seminaries where you'd go and learn theology so um you could right. only go and get brainwashed about jesus and so on but um there started to arise independent scholarly orders of people who ended up forming universities and i think you're going to see that same pattern replicated in that yep. um, you're going to see independent groups of scholars are going to form and they're going to be able to confer degrees upon uh, other people that are at least partially independent of the university system. So I think I right. think that's going to be really interesting. 
mean, you can see that happen in ancient Greece. Both Plato and Aristotle founded their own school of philosophy. And um, yeah. yeah, I think you'll see that happening a lot more in the West in coming decades. Yeah, well, it's an interesting thought. Um, obviously, you can you can get a great education online uh, without a, sort of an informal education, even if it's just watching, you know, YouTube videos for a couple of hours a night after work. You know, uh, if if you're not into into reading a book, uh, or or if you're you're unemployed and and want to pursue that full time, there's there's incredible opportunities to do that, and. Uh, you know, without having to go through a, a Marxist school system to to get a degree, and so yeah, well, the, the YouTube can uh, provide lectures, which yes. are essentially no lower quality than actually turning up to a lecture theatre on a university yeah. campus and, and mm. listening to a professor. In, in most cases, any subject you're interested in, if it's if it's even vaguely mainstream academia, you can go into YouTube and find actual like legitimate world experts in that particular mm. subject who'll be delivering lectures that you can listen to. Like Jordan Peterson, for example, he's got dozens, if not hundreds of hours of his lectures. Well, that's online. how he became famous. Yeah, well, that's mm. how people are going to become famous in the future. Mm. Like if you want to become a famous academic, it's going to be more about reaching out to the mainstream through the media than it will be through just sitting on a campus and having people come to you. Yeah. And I think that that process is going to intensify. You're going to see a lot more experts appearing in, YouTube videos rather than um, rather than lecture halls. Yeah, and I think that's probably a good place to leave uh, the the education and university discussion because we've covered a lot of ground, and you know, obviously, we could talk about that one topic alone for hours and hours. But you know, yep. we're not going to do that. I want well, we to can, now we can always talk... revisit it in a future podcast. Well, exactly, and <laughs> and that's the great thing about podcasts is uh, is you can do them as little or as often as you want. And yeah. uh, you can discuss discuss anything. And, and as we mentioned earlier, that's one of the great things, not of clown world, but of the modern era where information has become quite democratic and that anyone has largely equal access to the internet. Anyone can do a podcast, whereas with legacy media, there can only be so many radio stations. There can only be so many TV channels. Mm -hmm. And so if you've got a voice on TV, you're a legitimate person and you're you can spout the approved narrative whereas if you know you've got a podcast there's no reason why this podcast couldn't have a hundred thousand views overnight if, yeah. if it became really popular yeah, yeah. um but yeah that uh, i think we'll park education for now uh, the last and probably most important topic to talk about and um we've been uh, waiting to talk about this since the beginning of the show is spirituality in clown world and the original theme of this podcast was uh, aimed at younger people. Now, and we're going to uh, come right back to that now. And I've got before me two of your chapters. One is Everyday Life in Clown World, and one is Spirituality in Clown World. And I've highlighted from the Everyday Life in Clown World, I've highlighted two chapters, and I'll just read them, uh, not two chapters, two paragraphs. I'll, I'll read them now. Another major humiliation comes from laws such as those prohibiting cannabis or other spiritual sacraments. In most of the West, people get put in prison for producing or distributing cannabis, LSD, psilocybin, mescaline, and DMT. 
Even though there are stacks of evidence demonstrating that these substances can engender spiritual or mystic experiences, and that's what you talked about right at the start of the show. Yep. In Clown World, you're not allowed to seek out the divine. Our everyday lives are taken up with entirely material concerns. In particular, accumulating resources, whether physical or social. If we express any yearning to reconnect with the divine, we are labelled mentally ill. And then uh, you've got um, your Spirituality in Clown World article, and I really like the picture on the front of it. Uh, it's Ronald McDonald dying on the cross, <laughs> which is quite funny. <laughs> I'll, I'll read the first little bit of that. As society declines, uh, as a society declines, usually the first thing that disappears is spirituality. Once a society loses touch with God, it starts adopting superstitious religion in place of genuine spiritual tradition. And it's only a matter of time when they lose everything else. Spirituality is the cornerstone that we're missing in clown world, and the lack of it causes many of our problems. The elementary problem is what can be described as the clown world fork. Either worship Jesus as God or do not believe in God. Now, the first thing I'll ask you is if you can define materialism. Yeah, I would define materialism as what's known in my philosophy of elementalism as the prime illusion. Now, the prime illusion is the belief that this physical world is all that there is. Yep. And there's nothing else. There's nothing metaphysical. The metaphysical world simply does not exist. That's that's how I define materialism. As it relates to clown world, the important thing to remember is that the right wing of the ruling class and the left wing of the ruling class are both materialists. The capitalists don't care at all about God. They don't care at all about any kind of punishment after death for the way they've lived. And neither do the Marxists. If you look at uh, how both sides have behaved, the capitalists in America is probably the best example, and the Marxists in the Soviet Union is also a good example. They have both acted in every case to destroy natural spirituality and to prevent spiritual knowledge from, from being promulgated. Now, the main reason for this is that spirituality is the basis of freedom. If a person I've observed among the materialists, all the materialists I know in my life, every single one of them will bow the knee to the great power because they're afraid of death only through yeah. spirituality can a person conquer their fear of death and only through conquering that fear of death can a person be truly free because if a person's afraid of death then they'll inevitably bend the knee to anybody who can threaten their life such as such as the current ruling class and so clown world can be said to a major extent to to simply be the result of an excessive materialism and that excessive materialism has come about on account of that our ruling class is entirely materialistic. And so the prevailing narratives that they push through the apparatus of propaganda, they're all materialistic narratives. If you watch the television today, all they do is, is push consumerism. They never, ever speak about genuine spirituality. You'll never, on the mainstream television, hear someone talking about how cannabis is a spiritual sacrament. Now, we had an entire debate that went on for months about whether or not we should legalize cannabis leading up to the referendum last year and they never spoke about the use of cannabis as a spiritual sacrament and this is astonishing if you think about the fact that not only have our indo-european ancestors used cannabis as a spiritual sacrament for thousands of years but it's still 
in use as a spiritual sacrament in places like India. So that that is an incredible blind spot, if you think about it, an incredible blind spot towards the spiritual truth. <clears throat> and that has come about on, a, on an account of the fact that materialism has been normalized by the ruling class and by their lackeys in the mainstream media. Materialism is now the default way of looking at reality. But um, that leads directly to clown world, because if you are a materialist, you have to deal with the fact that according to your own philosophy, you are going to die and be extinguished and exterminated, and therefore your life is meaningless. So materialism leads naturally mm. to despair and demoralization, which is one of the main reasons why the ruling class pushes it on us. Because it's worth pointing out here that the ruling class themselves almost inevitably believe in God. They believe in the divine beyond the material world. And they push materialism on the rest of us to keep us dumb and to keep us ignorant and to keep us enslaved. Yeah, something I thought of when you were talking there about how no one made the argument that cannabis should be legalized because it's a spiritual sacrament. I thought, heck, if if it was on the TV news that we should legalize cannabis because people will be able to meet God, probably even more people would have voted against it. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So oh, that, that might have been sad, counterproductive. That's sad, but, but it's, it's probably, probably true. true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, the next question would be, and, I, and I'm going to talk specifically about young people and mental health and spirituality next. But my next question to, would be to you is, is why did you choose a picture of Ronald McDonald on the cross as the picture for this article, for this chapter? Well, the reason for that is because Ronald McDonald is like the capitalist Jesus. Ronald McDonald right. is, is the face that you see everywhere. And for him for him to get crucified, it's a, it's a joke that reflects the fact that Ronald McDonald has replaced Jesus as like the 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 main uh, materialist the, god the, yeah the the, yeah. the main person who's who's pushing our morals in a certain direction like we now we've been we've our society has been McDonald's and he himself right? is a clown yeah well, <laughs> that's 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 uh, it all ties in mm. that's why it's such a clown yeah. world that we have today yeah mm. yeah and so for in, in sort of layman's terms, I would describe materialism as believing only in the material world and that only things we can see, only things made of matter, only things we can look at or touch or scientists can explain, that's all there is. And okay, yeah. there's other planets, but that's it. There's no creator, there's there's no um afterlife, the the um you know, the indestructible spirit soul is not real uh, yep. and that, you know, we don't have a spirit soul and that once I'm dead, I'm dead and that, you know, the spirit soul is gone as well because it never existed. And so yep. materialism is believing only in the material world and nothing else. And so sometimes when I talk to people about materialism, they don't understand what I mean, but I describe it to them as believing only in the material world, nothing else. And in a lot of ways, you could, instead of saying materialist, you could say atheist because it's, yeah. it's they don't mean exactly the same thing, but they're mostly the same. And yeah. so people, people would understand it that way. And so referring to young people, this generation, my generation, and even millennials, there is an extraordinary amount of suffering in terms of mental health issues. I know so many people who have been 
suicidal at 17 years old, 18 years old, or even younger, um, who have harmed themselves, you know, and their body uh, from a very young age, who are on all sorts of antidepressant drugs. And it's it's exhausting for that, for the person involved, obviously, and it's exhausting for the people around them. And people, a lot of people are going, why the hell are so many people on these antidepressant drugs? Why the hell are so many people suicidal? Why the hell are so many people suffering? And then people say, and I remember, I remember it when I was at school, because we did Christian Ed being a um, Presbyterian school. People would say, "Sir, if there's a God, why is there so much suffering? Or why did why do children get cancer and die?" And you know what they don't understand is that you know the suffering only exists in the material world. And if if you you know are a divine enough person, then you'll escape you'll escape the cycle of reincarnation and you'll escape suffering. But yeah. um, you know that's all in here. But yeah. um, there's so much there's so much suffering there's there's so many people that are mentally ill and for a long time and for a lot of people they don't understand why so what do you believe is the major reason why so many people uh, particularly young people are mentally ill and mentally suffering well i think when it comes to this subject the most important thing to keep in mind is what the buddha referred to as the first noble truth first right. noble truth in buddhism is the fact of suffering in particular that means the fact that the world this material world is naturally a place of suffering yes. so the fact that people are suffering that's not in of in and of itself really that striking because people have always suffered i think mm. what's different today is that materialism has been pushed so far and materialism has been pushed so hard that we've hit the limits of it so mm. if you look at all the other time periods in history there's always been people have always been able to find some kind of spiritual solace if uh, mm -hmm. the people who who did suffer considerably more than average they were always able to find uh, a spiritual leader who was able to console them and to make them understand that this material world is just an illusion and therefore the suffering that happens mm -hmm. here is not the fundamental basis of reality it's not so mm -hmm. important no. but nowadays all that spirituality has been pushed aside that's what i mean by the clown world fork the clown world fork essentially says that you either choose a false conception of spirituality which does not alleviate your suffering or you don't believe in spirituality at all and so the clown world fork the reason why it forks us is because we're doomed to suffer one way or the other either we believe mm -hmm. a false conception of spirituality that doesn't take our suffering away or we become some kind of atheist materialist which is which is really which is really uh just a recipe for more pain I mean, if you genuinely yeah. believe that your consciousness is going to disappear with the death of your physical body, you cannot be happy. All you can do is really indulge physical urges and lusts, and and you can have joys in the short term, but you are always going to be a creature of fear and of despair because you will believe that life is meaningless. So I believe yeah. that the ultimate solution to the, the widespread suffering of Generation Z is a spiritual revival and i'm certain yeah. that uh you we will see a spiritual revival i mean you can already see the seeds of it now but uh, mm. we'll see that really blossom over the next 10 or 20 years as people they'll they'll there will become a widespread understanding that materialist consumption doesn't actually make people happy and so people yeah. are gonna 
people are going to naturally search for something else. If you go back 20 years to when I was at university, the widespread belief was that technology was going to take all that suffering away. And it's only really just now that... It's only made us suffer more. Become, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, well, that's... Uh, I think that's uh, that's only just now starting to become widely understood. Yeah. So I think that um, human suffering, it might have hit an acute crisis point now with Generation Z, but mm. um, I think that yeah, over the next 20 years, we will see a great spiritual revival and we will overcome I the total so. world war and, uh, yeah, and yeah. start to become happy again. So you, you've said to me in the past... Um, a lot of people are turning to spirituality now because materialism isn't working. Yep. And now for me personally, I'm 20 years old. And for, I would say, almost all of my life, I would have considered myself a materialist. I didn't consider myself one at the time. I would have considered myself probably agnostic. But I definitely wouldn't wouldn't consider myself that anymore. And I think a lot of people are, are going the same way. Most people... Like in New Zealand, I if if you think about what is New Zealand culture, I would describe it in two words, or maybe it's three words: materialist pissheads. And that <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty blunt um, way it's of describing accurate, it, but it's it's accurate. Everyone yeah. over here is basically a materialist, and they're by and large pissheads. Yeah. And by pisshead, I mean because maybe if you're not from New Zealand, you don't understand that it means heavy drinker, binge drinker. Yeah. And so. We've rejected spirituality, we've embraced alcohol, and we've embraced materialism. And I think a lot of people... We're suffering. Yeah, we're suffering big time, especially my generation. A lot of people are turning to spirituality. I know I know, I certainly am. Um, because materialism isn't making people happy. Materialism isn't working. And we've inherited this materialism from the boomers. And yeah. I'll, I just went back to the generational relations article because there's a great paragraph one one personally one of my favorite paragraphs you've written and it goes this widespread spiritual ignorance has convinced the boomer that there is no punishment for misdeeds in this life the earth is a free for all where one is permitted to indulge any desire one wishes at anyone else's expense and when the physical body dies the moral ledger is wiped clean so selling the future of the younger generations for the sake of comfort now is not morally unconscionable for those born between before 1964 yeah. well, i think that's a great paragraph and so as i've said i went to a presbyterian school and we had christian education and I always enjoyed it because I found it interesting and we'd watch a movie or the teacher would, you know, retell for sort of younger people a, a story in the Bible. And, it, you know, it was always quite a fun class and I enjoyed it. But I never, and I went, you know, they have a, a church at the school, and they call it chapel, and you, you have to go once a week for half an hour. And it's, you know, it's sometimes moderately interesting, sometimes it's pretty boring. But... Most people that I went to school with had no no religion, no spirituality. They, they were materialists. And as a child, I think probably a lot of people are because we, you know, most people in this country, unless you're probably a Pacific Islander, aren't uh, don't overly have that drummed into you, especially if you're European. Um, you know, religion takes a, a real backseat. Certainly did in my childhood. It was a non non-factor. Um, 
being the being a materialist for a New Zealander, especially a white person, is sort of the the default position. And so, you know, we were taught this stuff at school, not not as though it was fact, as though you know this is you know the indisputable truth, but it was sort of presented to us as a take it or leave it sort of a thing. And I appreciated it, but I I left it, and and I was like that for several years after after I left school. I thought you know, there's no God, this is the material world, you know, as, as materialists do. But when, when you, you start to look into it, you realize materialism doesn't answer life's questions. Materialism doesn't answer where the energy in our heart comes from, which is the indestructible spirit soul. Materialism doesn't solve any problem for any person. Materialism doesn't make anyone happy. And without genuine spirituality, it's almost impossible to be genuinely happy. And so people are realizing that the generations that have been godless, that have had zero spirituality, which are the boomers and basically the generations since, things haven't worked out too well for them. And so a lot of people are embracing spirituality. And so my question to you as a psychologist would be, do you think an embrace of psychology will help ease a lot of the human suffering that currently exists in terms of poor mental health. Absolutely. In fact, I'd go even further than that and say that's the only thing that realistically can. Now, I think it's important here to point out that when I say that I reject materialism and embrace spirituality, I'm not knocking science. I'm not criticizing science. I'm not criticizing medicine. I'm not criticizing the the great advantages that physics and biology and chemistry have given to us. Now, I appreciate that these sciences are researched from a materialist perspective. However, what I think is important to keep in mind is that what we do during the day, what we do during our everyday lives is subordinate to the spiritual truths. So it should be entirely possible, as it was for Werner Heisenberg and for Erwin Schroeder and some of these other great physicists of 100 years ago, to conduct scientific inquiry underneath the umbrella of spiritual truth. Now, I think um, Heisenberg himself, he said that the first sip from the glass of the natural sciences will turn you to an atheist, but at the bottom of the glass, God is waiting for you. Now, the same thing happened to me. I studied psychology to master's degree level, and what I discovered through my focus on evolutionary biology and my focus on genetics as a contributor to human behavior, I come to understand that there's actually no evidence whatsoever that the brain generates consciousness. You can go to scholar.google.com. You can research this as hard as you like. There is not even the tiniest skerrick of evidence that the brain generates consciousness. All of the scientific research into this area, all they fall into one of two categories. Either, firstly, people say that people say that uh, people use self-reported measures of consciousness. They say a, a, a scientific paper will say, okay, if a person says that they're conscious in this particular situation, then they are conscious. If they say that they're not, well, if they if they are unable to say that they're conscious, then they're not conscious. Or in the second category, uh, the research will conflate some physiological measure with consciousness. So they'll say this particular aspect of brain activity is the same thing as consciousness. 
And so if we measure this aspect of brain activity, we're also measuring consciousness. Now, neither of those two approaches are actually logical if you think about it. Just because somebody self-reports that they're conscious doesn't actually mean that they are so. It's just assumed that they are so. But this assumption is not actually logical. It's the same with physiological correlates of consciousness. Just because a certain physiological phenomenon has been measured doesn't mean that it actually has anything to do with consciousness. So I think what we're going to find, especially more over the next 10 or 20 years, is that people who are interested in science are going to increasingly realize that there is actually no scientific evidence for the material world being the basis of consciousness. Even though this is this is this is almost universally assumed by people who who work in academic science, it's only an assumption. It never has been any more than an assumption, and it's not actually an accurate assumption. The real truth of, about reality is, as you will be aware from having read the Bhagavad Gita and studied Hinduism, it's also expressed the same truth as expressed in Buddhism and Confucianism and Taoism. The real truth is that consciousness is actually the prima materia. Consciousness is actually the basis of reality, and mm. consciousness is the only thing that can be truly said to exist. This entire material world that we appear to be living in is not the actual reality. It's merely the perception of a reality that consciousness happens to be perceiving at this time. And uh, yeah. I think that over mm. the next 10 or 20 years, these spiritual facts are going to become much more widely understood. These are already mm. heavily understood in certain circles. And that's why I say that an education on the internet is often so much better than an education on university. Because yeah. if you go to places where, if you take, for example, the website shroomery.org, where it's an entire website um, based around psilocybin mushrooms, there's a sub-forum on there called the Spirituality and Mysticism Forum. And in this forum, it's um, people will speak about spirituality from the same perspective that the ancient Greeks used to speak about spirituality when they partook in things like the Eleusinian mysteries and they'd gather and, right. and they'd, they'd communally take a psychedelic sacrament that was possibly based on psilocybin mushrooms. The truth is that uh, these spiritual sacraments, as I spoke about at the very beginning of this podcast, yep. uh, these spiritual sacraments, these substances are actually sacraments that reconnect us with the divine. And so that's why the word psychedelic, psyche means soul, and the delic yep. comes from, that means to reveal. So psychedelic, a psychedelic literally means something that reveals the soul. And mm. um, if I take myself, for example, I was a materialist until the first time I took a, a heavy dose of psilocybin mushrooms. And uh, right. that that revealed God to me. Now, I yeah. think over the next 10 or 20 years. article about that, don't you? Yeah, I've got several, in fact, because it yeah. was it was the most uh, it was the most influential thing that ever happened to me in my whole life. And I think yeah. over the next 10 or 20 years, uh, you're going to see a great revival of of this psychedelic knowledge. You can go back to the 1950s and read Aldous Huxley. He was writing about the spiritual implications of LSD and psilocybin. He was writing about it back then. But um, unfortunately, uh, the spiritual revival was um, was destroyed by the capitalist Marxist alliance, which has pushed us into clown world. However, yep. clown world, it cannot survive forever. It's just as impermanent no. as everything else in this physical yep. reality. Clown world yep. will die. And yep. when it does, it will be replaced by a new spiritual revival. And that spiritual revival will be based around 
the same psychedelic sacraments that humans have been using for thousands of years to reconnect mm. to the divine that's just going to start happening again so yeah that'll be that'll be interesting yeah so you've written that the reason um so many so many new zealanders are materialists is that we never recovered from the both both the wars we just sent so many people away everyone knew someone everyone had a brother a father uncle cousin whatever uh, that was killed and they were never the same again yep. and people were taught that oh it's god's will that you'll go and fight in the war and then when people were killed on mass it was like oh well god told me to go and you know then god didn't protect me because or my brother or my cousin or my father because he died and so why would i believe in this it's rubbish i'll become a materialist Yep. And maybe it wasn't a conscious decision that someone became a materialist, you know, but but that's what happened. And we've we've just had zero uh, zero connection with the divine as sort of a New Zealand nation for decades now. So I guess I sort of answered the question, uh, well, you've written that that the wars were the reason we lost the connection with the divine. Maybe you could you could talk about that. And and if there's any other reasons why we've we've lost connection with the divine, and and why we haven't reconnected with the divine in any generation since. Well, I think the most important thing to point out here is that uh, the world wars were really just the capstone, or the end result of uh, a process of uh, despiritualization that had been already happening for decades, if not centuries. Right. Because yes. uh, Friedrich Nietzsche wrote in 1884. And thus spake Zarathustra that the Christian God is dead in the sense mm. that people people already in the 1880s had essentially stopped believing in God. And that was mostly the result of what I call the minor Renaissance. Now, if you read about history, they'll talk about something called the Renaissance, and they'll say that the Renaissance was the rebirth of Greco-Roman thinking and, and Greco-Roman thought and culture. And that's partially true. But the reality is that the Renaissance only happened in a materialistic sense, in the sense that we went back to our Greco-Roman scientific roots, but we did not go back to our Greco-Roman spiritual roots. And so the, the death of the Abrahamic God, which had occurred after the Enlightenment began in the 17th, 18th centuries, um, that, that, uh, that process intensified with uh, World War I and World War II, and the suffering of these, they, um, the suffering from these wars really led to the creation of the boomers. The boomers being what I consider to be the low point in the historical cycle. The boomer generation being the absolute, as you mentioned before, the most soulless and the most materialist generation that's ever yeah. existed. And I think the, the spiritual revival, it, um, you can say that it hasn't happened yet, but you can already see strong signs of it if you go back to the the uh the rediscovery of psychedelics in the late 1950s and the 1960s uh that that already was was what had promised to be the the long-awaited spiritual revival but it was deliberately smashed by the materialists who rightfully saw a threat to their control because if you are a materialist if you're a capitalist and you want people to consume as much as possible uh, you can't let them believe in God because if they do believe in God, they'll they'll spend their time meditating and withdrawing from physical pleasures rather than indulging in them. The whole point of capitalism is to induce people to indulge almost satanically 
and well, at least egotistically. And mm. um, yeah, so the, the spiritual revival has been deliberately crushed by the capitalist material, uh, the capitalist Marxist alliance. And that's why we're in clown world today. But as I mentioned before, they can't win in eternity. Their control system is just as impermanent as everything else. And they will eventually forget the danger that spirituality poses to their control. And when they, well, they, they are forgetting it because you see already now that uh, cannabis is legal in most American states. In mm. um, some American states, it's already legal now to use psychedelics as a therapeutic substance, although it's not fully understood yet that the therapeutic benefits of psychedelics are specifically in their value as spiritual sacraments, but that mm. will come to become realized in the next 10 or 20 years. So mm. um, I think it's really just, we, we are just coming out of an extremely low point in the historical cycle. And um, Generation Z, your generation, I expect, will come to produce some truly great spiritual leaders that will transform the world. It's probably too late for, well, it's definitely too late for the boomers. It's probably too late for Generation X because they don't really care. My generation, mm. the millennials, uh, there are quite a lot of people who believe in the new spirituality in my generation, mm. but not enough for it to be a widespread phenomenon. Mm. Those among 40-year-olds who believe in God are still extremely rare. You know, even though I say that God is for me the fundamental basis of reality and mm. that God is actually the only thing I believe in, I don't even believe mm. in the physical world. I believe mm. in God more fundamentally than I believe in that I believe that I'm talking to you. Right. Mm. So that's 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 an extremely high level of confidence. But mm. um that's rare among people my age. People your mm. age, I think uh if you're 20, you've already seen the writing on the wall as far as materialism is concerned, you've seen mm. the widespread suffering. And I think younger people today are going to be much, much more motivated to explore the spiritual world than what previous generations have been. So I think yeah. I think we're about to see a great, great sea change. Mm. And and I'll I want to read out some of some more paragraphs from uh, the spirituality and clown world article, but but also um, a thought that came to mind just in the last sort of thirty seconds or so when you're talking there is. Uh, you, you've said that materialism isn't working out anymore. It's not working out for people anymore. But it's working out better for some generations than others. And so it's working out pretty well for boomers because they've got heaps of material wealth. And so obviously someone with material wealth is better off than someone without it. It's, it's better to be godless and wealthy than godless and poor. Um, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Um, but that's all they've got. It's worth pointing yeah. out that it's, that's all they've got. Mm. They've got they've got material wealth, but yeah. they're not truly happy. You yeah. cannot say that the boomers are truly happy. They might be smug, or they might be. <laughs> they're certainly there. They might be. They mm. might be content with their position relative mm. to the positions of the following generations, but in no way are they truly happy. I think you won't yeah. see any any widespread true happiness until your generation, or perhaps even the generation after it, mm. grows up and becomes influential. Yeah, but they've they've got the point I was getting at is that I think uh, mental illness is less common among boomers than younger generations, and it's less common among maybe the X generation than millennials, and it's even more common in my generation than millennials. I would say I'm not basing that off any scientific study, but I would say that's probably the reality is that people are getting more mentally ill with each generation. And 
I, I think, um, you know, the, the mental health system is something that you've got extensive experience in. You've written about it. You've obviously studied it as a psychologist. And I've got, I, I haven't printed it, but I have got it on my second screen here. Uh, you, this is your article about dealing with the gang problem. And it says, yeah. the solution to such mental problems isn't being stuffed full of sedatives and told to get the fuck back to work as per standard mental health care practice in New Zealand. The only effective treatment... Oh, that's not relevant to this discussion, but um, you've also written here, um, those who are not born into Christianity or who reject it, which I guess was me, have the option of becoming atheists. Such people tend to be big fans of Richard Dawkins, who, while a genius evolutionary biologist, is no theologian, theologian, this atheism brings with it the belief that consciousness is extinguished upon the death of the brain and consequently also leads to misery and despair. Worshipping God as God is not permitted. Understanding that the material world is an illusion and that consciousness survives the death of the physical body is right out. Any such genuine spirituality is dismissed or worse. This has led to an immense dissatisfaction among the more open-minded people. Anyone with an innate spiritual sense is all but guaranteed to suffer from the clown world fork. And then you've put later on in that page, in the opinion in the opinion of the mental health system, anyone speaking of God is psychotic and therefore a danger to themselves and others. They probably need to be medicated until they come back into their bodies again and realize that there is no God. At this point, they will once again feel the yawning existential despair that marks normality. And so <laughs> the thing I like about a lot of your articles is they're very serious, but you can't help but laugh. Like like when it says being stuffed full of sedatives and told to get the fuck back to work, that's quite funny, but it's also extremely serious. Yeah. And so it's yeah. it's good to have a laugh while you're discussing things that are serious. And so in terms of materialism i say materialism is working out better for some generations than others and it's getting worse and worse boomers for example they've been brought up in a materialist world but it wasn't as materialist as it is now and, and what i mean by that is for example things like uh, amazon tinder youtube all that stuff Pornhub. that's all rampant now Pornhub didn't exist when boomers were my age, but it certainly does now. Tinder didn't exist when boomers were my age or even when you were my age, That's but right. it certainly does now. And so someone of, of your generation or a boomer or even someone who's 35 or, or whatever, older than me, lived in, as you say, a better world than we're in now because things like Tinder didn't exist and you might say, well, Tinder, oh, well, you know, that's just a sign of the times, isn't it? And it is. But also it's destroyed the ability for a lot of people to form meaningful long-term relationships. So when mm. when you say that materialism isn't working, what, what I think of is that as we've gotten more and more and more materialists with every subsequent generation, things have gotten worse and worse. And for boomers... You know, it was relatively easy to find a partner because as you've written and I think it's your chapter on hypergamy is that, you know, people would marry someone that they either knew personally from school or whatever, a friend of a friend, you know, a friend of a cousin or whatever, or someone they met at the pub by and large. Yep. And now, you know, I bring up an app, I've got, you know, 
bloody 100 people within a 10k radius and if you're in the top 10 percent of you know people in terms of attractiveness you'll be you know banging all these people constantly and the bottom at least 50 percent are left out and so when you say materialism isn't working that's what that means to me so am i am would you agree with me yeah absolutely oh, i think it's important to point out here that um the boober generation they might not have high rates of depression and despair and anxiety mm. but they do have extremely high rates of narcissistic sadism in comparison to younger generations so it may be true that um they aren't suffering as much psychological distress as what the younger generations are but it's it's worth pointing out that they are not less mentally ill they're still um they're still fucked up it's just in a different way <laughs> so um yeah but as it as it relates to as it relates to materialism in in uh the modern world yeah i, I think you're right but i think what you're going to see and what you can already see is a movement away you see a lot of people are rejecting tinder a lot of people are rejecting Pornhub, and a lot of people are rejecting yes. these uh, these other trappings of materialism and trying to find trying to live a life according to a, a higher and more spiritual directive and um in a lot of cases you can see that uh, people don't get this right because um they conflate christianity with spirituality and so the yearning for spirituality often gets filled by just a throwback to some kind of uh, what they believe to be a traditional form of uh, of Christianity, which, I mean, the, the, this mentality was rejected already for a good reason. So it can't really come back. But what I think you are going to see over the next 10 or 20 years is mm. a an entirely new form of religious activity starting to arise. I think what you'll yep. see is what it'll be more of a reflection of what we already had 2,300 years ago, where people will get together communally and uh, participate in spiritual sacraments. Now, you already see that mm. today in America, for example. In America, it's most pronounced. You see a lot of people will get together and smoke cannabis. And mm. um, this is this is a communal spiritual ritual, although it's often not understood as being such a thing. It is understood by the Rastafarians. They call it a reasoning session. You get together, you smoke weed, and then you talk about the nature of reality. And this is called a reasoning mm. session because it's supposed to bring you closer to the truth. I think what you'll see over the next 10 or 20 years is a lot more people will come together communally and take a psychedelic sacrament and have a real profound trip and a profound experience of the world beyond. Because I think that's the only thing that's powerful enough to change people's current materialist orientations. Mm. Yeah, no, I think you're quite right. Whereas we, we like to pretend in this country that we're so socially progressive and yet most of america a lot of africa has now legalized cannabis yeah. and yet over here we've not and and yeah, as well, you've rightly pointed out it was the boomers and the immigrants that prevented us from doing that yeah really it's um people who it's really the materialists who are against all the spiritual sacraments and by mm. materialists i mean not only atheists but also people who follow a false religion because there are a lot of people out there who are religious, but not at all spiritual. They're religious mm. only for either, they're religious for reasons of sometimes political power or reasons yep. of superstition 
or because they just want to have some kind of community, but they don't actually believe in God or anything spiritual. You'll find that only an extremely small minority of Christians actually believe in God. The vast mm. majority of them are, are merely superstitious and mm. they're merely they're merely just going through the motions. Yeah. And I think um, what you'll see is what you'll see is the people who started abandoning Christianity over the last 150 years or 200 years, perhaps 300 years, you'll see these same people will start to gravitate towards the new spiritual paradigm that you can already see arising in places like the shroomery and places like um, the, the, the psychedelic uh, therapeutic uses that you can see happening in places like um, Oregon and Washington and California. There's a lot of psychedelic therapy. And um, I think you're going to see that develop into a, a new spiritual paradigm because it is important for people to have a communal aspect to spiritual belief. It is really hard to just sit in your own home and, and um, worship God without uh, doing this with other people. But of yes. course, you can't actually have a communal spiritual sacrament use uh, today because they're class A drugs in New Zealand. You can actually get life imprisonment for giving someone a psychedelic, mm. which is, uh, to me... Insane it's mm. it's it's one of the most insane things about our entire society it's it's yep. completely backwards if you go back to ancient greece but the, if, you, if you buy alcohol for a, a 16 year old that's fine yeah that's not a big deal people yeah. will say well mm. you know 16 year olds oh, well. want to get pissed so mm. you know you should you're kind of morally obliged to help them get pissed <laughs> but um people don't make the same arguments when it comes to actual spiritual sacraments no. but uh, that's just an example of how how backwards and undeveloped we actually are right now we've really mm. degenerated into an extremely dark place and that yeah. was that was why i wrote clown world chronicles yeah and we've been going a long time and and we we, we sort of need to wrap things up and and i'll i've got two more questions for you so we'll do them one at a time um the last question is possibly the most important question of the episode and it's it's what this episode's about which is younger people my generation but the second to last question is i've highlighted an article from a, a paragraph from the chapter on spirituality and clown world and it says things are so desperate that some are even turning to islam as a solution to clown world's degeneracy problems this desperation is encapsulated in the phrase islam is right about women and islam is right about homosexuals so we've got we've got materialism and materialism is bad but living in an islamic state would be probably a lot worse and so um some people realize that you know everyone being on pornhub everyone being on only fans everyone being on um tinder and things it's no good um it's it's horrific uh and and people are suffering because they've developed you know unhealthy addictions and things and some people think oh well um islam will sort it out or hardcore bible thumping will sort it out like james yeah. rossiter thinks or yeah. <laughs> or also um it's the same way in that people think oh well if things get really bad we'll just vote in a tyrant and they'll clean it all up yeah. so perhaps if you could talk about why embracing islam or hardcore catholicism or, or whatever is a bad idea and 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 how that would make things worse uh, because I guess we've already talked about what the solution is, which is a return to genuine spirituality. But but perhaps yeah. if you could talk why that would be such a mistake. Well, 
when people become scared, it's natural human nature under enough fear, when people really get full of fear and terror to cast about for some big daddy figure who's going to come and fix everything. Well, that's, that's just with COVID. Mm. Yeah, well, you can see it with COVID as well. People are mm. so scared of, of getting coronavirus that they'll do whatever the government tells them. Mm. The more fear that there is in a society, the stronger the desire for authoritarianism there is going to be. Now, that's why Plato said that when democracy turns to shit, as it inevitably does, people will vote in a tyrant, like you said, to come clean up the mess. When people mm. get scared enough, they start thinking authoritarianism is the answer. Now, the joke about Islam is that Islam is like a time machine that only goes backwards. And that's also true of the other Abrahamic religions, such as Christianity and their fundamentalist expressions. But you'll find that when people get scared enough, they start desiring that kind of primitive authoritarianism again. So the way around that is to the beauty of a genuine spiritual revival is that it will take that people's fear away. That's, that's how you can tell between true spirituality and false spirituality. True spirituality makes you less afraid. False spirituality makes you more afraid. So if we had a true and genuine spiritual revival, that would take away the fear that motivates people to want to have more authoritarianism. If you look at, if you look throughout history at the times when there was true and widespread spiritual knowledge, these were the times that were the least authoritarian because authoritarians, they can't do anything about truly spiritual people. If you truly understand that this world is merely an illusion and that the most important thing is to go into the next world with the right frequency of consciousness such that you're not a slave or an oppressor or, or anything like that, then you're invincible. The authoritarians, they can't harm you because you'd rather, you'd, you'd rather die than become a slave to them. So mm. the answer to... The answer to that, um, the, the answer to the desire to go back to authoritarianism, is true spirituality, and I think that yep. that can only come through a revival of the use of spiritual sacraments. Yeah, but I, I can understand why people would think that embracing, you know, hardcore Abrahamism. I, I can understand why people would think that, and I can see why it would be attractive to some people, and. But obviously, it's not the answer, and it'll lead to even greater problems. But I can see on the surface why some people would think that's a good idea. I mean, a lot of people are a lot of people are low IQ. That's just a fact. I mean, the average IQ in New Zealand is a hundred, and half of people are even lower yeah. than that. So, yeah. if you're lower than that, chances are that you find the world scary on account of its complication, mm. and you're confused. Mm. And if you're so confused and scared, chances are that you just want to follow a leader. Because that's how yeah. all authoritarianism works. You get people confused and scared and, and they naturally want to follow a leader, even if that leader's obviously a bad guy. Mm. So um, like you can see, for example, it was the fear of the fear and the suffering that was caused by the Weimar hyperinflation that led people to think that the authoritarianism of the Nazis was a good thing. And it was mm. the suffering caused by the World War One and World War Two that led people to think that the authoritarianism of communism was a good thing. So mm. the people who want authoritarianism in, in religious form now, they're the same people. They're exactly the same people, low IQ people who need a follower, who, sorry, who need a leader to tell them what to do. But the way around that, I think, is to have true and genuine spirituality such that true and genuine spiritual leaders stand up. And yep. if that happens, they will make people less afraid. And yeah. when people are less afraid, they'll be less inclined to want authoritarianism. 
I don't yeah. see any difference between Abrahamism in this sense and Nazism and communism. They're all expressions mm. of human fear. Yeah, well, that article you sent me a couple of weeks ago, or maybe two weeks ago, described the main Abrahamic religions are obviously Christianity, Judaism, Islam, and Marxism. Yep. Yeah, so Marxism. That, that's Marxism. something interesting to think about because you don't think of Marxism as a religion. No, most people don't, and it's it's not a it's not a uh, it's in a sense you can think of it as an atheistic religion. But mm. wokeness, which is which is our modern form of Marxism, yes, is um, it really is another form of Abrahamism in the sense that not only is it motivated by exactly the same concerns, but exactly the same people follow wokeness as who used to follow the Abrahamic cults. The same people. Mm. The same people who destroy wrong thinkers with cancel culture and wokeness, they're the same people who go slitting the throats of infidels in Islam. They're the same people who go burning heretics at the stake in Christianity. They're the same people. The same, mm. basically, they're, they're just scared. They're just the mm. people who have lost control of their fear. And um, yep. having lost control of their fear, they, they take out their suffering on other people. Yeah. And the the last question I'll ask you, and I th and and the theme of this show, and I think we've we've done reasonably well to talk about it, but obviously we've we've also veered off course, is the role of young people in clown world and what it means to grow up in clown world because some people are starting to think this is normal, and obviously my generation, some people are already having kids that are a couple of years older than me, some people my age will be having kids within the next few years, they'll be raising you know, there'll be parents raising children that have lived in clown world their whole life. And I think it's important. Uh, the, the question I'll ask you to talk about is the last thing on this podcast is what is your advice to a young person today who is suffering mentally? What is your advice to someone who's suffering spiritually because they, they have no spirituality. It's been robbed of them. They they've never heard of it. As you say, the clown world fork, it's either Abrahamism or nothing. And what 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 would you say to someone who who knows the world isn't right, but can't quite put their finger on it? And and I guess also what would be your advice to your younger materialist self, knowing what you know now? And I think that'll be a good way to to sum it up. To young people, I would say that as bad as things are, there are also ways in which the world has never been better. And one of those ways in particular is the ease of which you can find spiritual information online. Like if you go back even 40 years ago, it was extremely difficult to talk about or even find anything out about occult subjects. You pretty much had to become a member of the Freemasons or the, or the Theosophical Society or some other occult society and uh, learn from other people face to face. It was extremely difficult to find information about that. Like it was hard enough even go back mm. 40 years, it was almost impossible to even find a copy of the Bhagavad Gita at your public library because mm. um, Abrahamists... Well, I've got three of them now, so... Yeah. Well, that's the beauty of it. And you bought them all mm. on the internet, right? So yes, that's an example correct. of what I mean. Like, mm. you can you can go on the internet, even you can go and trade me. You can find yep. um, you can find spiritual information more easily than ever. I'd say mm. to young people today, if they're spiritually lost, the most important thing of all is to understand the difference between Dharmic and Adharmic religions. Dharmic yes. religions are those that are in tune with the natural law, that are in tune with reality, the spiritual Which truth of reality. 
Mm. Yeah, and these are religions such as Hinduism, Buddhism, Confucianism, Taoism, Shintoism to a lesser extent, and uh, the Western the Western esoteric tradition like Manly P. Hall, for example. I, if I was if I was a young person today, I would say to myself, I would say to myself, you have never had a greater opportunity to research spiritual truths. And I would say, make sure you do everything you can to stay away from the Adharmic religions and to, to stay away from their influence. So, so completely, completely eradicate all thoughts of Christianity or Judaism or Islam or Baha'i or Mormonism. Just keep them entirely out of your lives. And that's never been easier to do than today. Regarding um, for people who are totally lost, I'd say that uh, you also have you also have a better than ever opportunity to to partake in spiritual sacraments such as cannabis or LSD or psilocybin but I would not I would not propose that as a first port of call first first thing to do I think would be to find uh, spiritual texts such as the Bhagavad Gita the Dhammapada which is the sayings of the Buddha you can read the Analects of Confucius online. They're easy to find. You can you can read the Tao Te Ching online. That's easy to find. That's everywhere. There's dozens of translations. And that's where I'd be starting if I was spiritually lost today. If someone was extremely lost, then um, as I was when I was 27, I was I was I, I had no concept of no understanding of spirituality at all. For people like this, you can take a, a spiritual sacrament such as a psychedelic. But um, I would advise you. To bear in mind that which Timothy Leary said in the 1960s, which was if you're going to go down the path of spiritual sacraments, to always keep in mind set and setting, which is your mindset and the environment in which you take the psychedelic. What you, what you really don't want to do is go to a party and take a pile of magic mushrooms when you're surrounded by piss heads, because that that is gonna that's mm. not going to lead to a good no. result. But no. um, if if you can find other people, and they're not hard to find nowadays because we don't actually have to hide out of fear of being burned to death by Christians anymore. We can actually mm. speak about psychedelics on a podcast like this and not have to worry about getting killed. Mm. Um, it's not actually that hard to find people who already have experience with psychedelic sacraments. And if you can, if you can get yourselves into a group of people like this, um, you can take a psychedelic with those people, and um, that's the best possible setting. And um, if you if you can take a psychedelic with people you trust. And people who you know are on the right wavelength, um, that's 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 probably the most effective way that you can come to believe in the divine. That's the most effective way that you can you can outgrow materialism. But um, as I said before, that's also sort of a, a method of last resort because if you can, it's better to just meditate and to read spiritual texts. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Vince McLeod, thank you very much for joining me on the JTFP. It has been a pleasure to interview you once again. I think we've had a great discussion. Yeah, cheers, Jackson. I think this has actually been the best one I've done so far. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to having the chance to talk to you again when we have some more questions. And um, Yeah, I think so we've got, got quite in-depth. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's uh, it's my pleasure. I think we've got quite in-depth on, on a number of subjects, and uh, I hope we achieved, uh, why, uh, we achieved what I set out to do, which was to speak specifically to younger people about the state of clown world and and i hope we've been successful yep and so if anyone wants to find out more about um clown world and the way that i've written about it please just go and buy a copy of my book clown world chronicles you can find that on trade me or you can find that on amazon that'll discuss 
in depth all the subjects that we've talked about in this podcast. So yeah, have a read of that. I can recommend it. Yes, and I can absolutely recommend it. VJMPublishing.nz for the articles, and uh, I'm I'm sure we'll see you again on another podcast. All right, cheers, Jackson. I look forward to speaking to you again. Thank you very much.